And we're back again for another episode of Riddles in the Dark Digest on another one of our weekend marathon recording sessions. Um, this is, I don't remember which episode this is. This is like seven, maybe, I think. Um, I think it's number seven. And, and as of this episode, we will be essentially caught up with uh with for now with where we're supposed to be for the episodes which is exciting um so this this episode we're going to be covering um all things related to Comic-Con and the announcement about the splits of the films uh the uh, from a, a duology into a trilogy um and in terms of riddles in the dark episodes what we're going to be covering is the Nazgul um the announcement from basically this is like the this is the the um, the uh, Hobbit controversy episode. We're going to cover all of the <laughs> all of the huge announcements that have ca- ca- stirred controversy in the last few months. The first one being the Nazgul stuff from CinemaCon, and then um, and then also the Comic Con, all the Comic Con stuff, and then the announcement about the trilogy. So it's basically all of the really con- this is the Riddles in the Dark Digest controversy episode. Um, so yeah, so we're going to go back in time to Riddles. In the Dark number eight, which was about the Nazgul, um, and we're going to ask, uh, we're going to revisit that question. What would their role be? Um, we're going to provide the predictions and feedback we've gotten from our analysts and our listeners, uh, and, and also re-examine that question in the context of, of three films because I th- I think that really opens up a lot of interesting sort of possibilities there. And then, Dave, yes. you should introduce us. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Right, and then. <laughs> And then, of course, we're going to get into the Comic-Con episode number 13, which, um, which is kind of almost like a non-question at this point. And we'll talk about your, your, apparently we got some interesting feedback from you guys about that episode. So, uh, I'm Dave Kale, the co-host of Riddles in the Dark. I'm also a, uh, a co-host of Secrets of the Hobbit from SQPN. And I'm the co-host here, Riddles in the Dark Digest. And with me is the lovely Trish Lambert. Ah, <sighs> hello. Again. Yeah, it's been a You're while. A busy guy. You, you know, you're like the pod, like who did this? Somebody said Dave Kale, World Domination Network. That's right. That's right. <laughs> yeah, I'm really, I'm excited for this. I've been, I've been, I've been getting myself all pumped up for this episode because this is definitely the Hobbit controversy episode. Ah, I see. Yes, I, uh, I, 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 I too have been excited waiting. And and the reason we delayed talking about um, Riddle Number Eight for so long was. We knew Father Roderick would want to weigh in, uh, and so we wanted to we wanted to give him a chance to um, to to get his answer on record uh, before we actually talked about this, so we could include it. And of course, he's on vacation, yeah, right? When we, yeah, and he went on vacation. We, he, we, he and I got a little behind, and then he went on vacation, so we got even more behind. So uh, he just got back. We did a new Secrets of the Hobbit um, this past Thursday. He. Um, uh, he gave me his answer, and that turned into a 20-minute conversation. <laughs> so uh, what what I think we're going to do with that is I think we're just going to include it at the end of this episode as like a little sort of just like a bonus cool. thing. Like we're a not gonna, bonus? Yeah, I'm yeah. not going to just stick it in the middle and disrupt our flow with a 20-minute diversion to Father Roderick. Instead, we'll we'll stick it at the end because <laughs> it's, okay, it's a fun conversation. I don't want to cut it at all, so I'm just right. going to stick the whole thing in at the end. Um, that, so we want to make sure we don't take up too much time right we don't want to turn this into a four-hour podcast <laughs> that's right well i just got a message on twitter from uh brent sprinkle saying go set a new episode length record so 
So maybe we should take too too much okay. time. Okay. Um, okay. If you insist. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so uh, back to riddle number eight um, to refresh everyone's memory. Lord knows I need it. The question was, what will the ring wraiths themselves be focused on during the movie? Uh, what will they be focused on doing in the movie? Um, I think Corey's kind of Corey's way of wording it was, "What will be what will be the main theater of action for the ring raids?" Um, the idea is, you know, the, the 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 big question here is: we know they're at least going to be mentioned in the film. Um, we we haven't seen any footage or proof that they are appearing in the film, but we know that they will be mentioned and discussed during the White Council because their tombs, which were sealed by ancient magic, will be opened. Uh, and that this is really going to play into an important um, – this is going to be an important element of the, the the sort of the mystery of the identity of the necromancer. So um, the, the, the challenge here, of course, is that they really have no meaning no, – no straightforward, reasonable – role to play in the main Hobbit storyline. And in fact, involving them in the main Hobbit storyline seems dangerous uh, um, and potentially sort of, you know, could could open up weird paradoxes in the logic of the the Middle Earth world that Peter Jackson has created on screen. Because if, if we have them riding around encountering the party of the dwarves and Bilbo, um, uh, especially post- um, Misty Mountains, Bilbo's carrying around the One Ring, and that's ostensibly what they're supposed, you know, they're like enslaved to it and, and should be looking for it, and the ring waves we saw on screen seem to have a, a sort of almost preternatural ability to sense when it's nearby, and so it would just be kind of ridiculous to have them encounter the dwarves in Bilbo and either find, not not notice that the ring's there. That would defy logic. The the audience would kind of be like, well, what's wrong with these idiot Nazgul? They can't tell. And it would have to be explained on screen. You know, they would have to be some reason given for why they can't tell it's the one ring at this point. Um, and 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 that would just be annoying and stupid and hard to do and just like you'd end up with all kinds of weird complicated exposition on screen that that really has nothing to do with the main story of the hobbit or the other thing you'd have to do is have them recognize that it's the one ring and explain why from that from 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 that moment on through the rest of these films up to the fellowship of the ring they aren't just dogging the footsteps of bilbo everywhere he goes like you'd have to come up with some bizarre explanation for why they 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 found the ring and said hey it's the ring and then 50 years go by before they attempt to go find them again um (laughs) so there's there's also the complication that that um that you although although in the Lord of the Rings books the way that the Nazgul are mentioned is that they reappear and this is the first time they've been seen in a hundred years and people aren't even a hundred percent sure initially that it's them but they but you know Gandalf mentions that 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 they appear to have reemerged and that they're you know they've taken the guise of writers in black and all that kind of stuff they don't do that in the films they kind of leave that aside and yet you still get this 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 um, very dramatic image at the very beginning of the fellowship of the ring film where we see the gates of mordor opening and the 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 black riders racing out on their black horses so there's sort of this image that they're really not running around looking for the ring or doing anything um until 
until the time of the Lord of the Rings, until the beginning of Fellowship of the Ring. So they really seem like a very complicated element, uh, and, and, it, and it seems fraught trying to figure out how to include them in the films. Uh, and then you so, – so our question is what will their role be? Um, um, and we did include an option where they are actively involved in the storyline, but we think that we, we, we sort of hope that that's not the case. The other complication that you should add that we can add to this is the fact that we know we know that they are per- perfectly capable of dividing and conquering. So um, we see this in the early part of the Fellowship of the Ring, where some of them break off and uh, some of them are invading the Shire, some of them are riding around to the south, and you end up having sort of two different groups of, of Nazgul riding around and trying to essentially trap or capture Frodo. And so when we were writing these questions, we were like, oh, crap. You know, it's, there's no way to write them to be mutually exclusive because they could divide. So the question is, what will their main focus be? It's possible they might be doing multiple things, maybe, but we suspect there will be a main role for them in the film, that if they're dividing up and popping up here and there and everywhere and being involved, that they will just be, they'll become, you know, a far more important element of the film than they really probably should be or that the filmmakers would want them to be. So the question is, what will their main focus be? Not, you know, they'll only be doing this, but what will their main focus be? So the four answers are, A, they're headed to Mordor, preparing for Sauron's relocation in his old stomping crowns. This is the book answer. Um, this is this is what they do. Um, uh, in the books, they aren't trapped in a tomb and then get released, but rather um, they kind of disappear after their last – after – it's basically right around the time the, the, the Witch King of Angmar is defeated that they kind of disappear into Mordor. Then they, they have a couple last times where they um, – they challenge the king of Gondor and capture him. But then after that, they kind of fade, fade into the the the, the background. Don't they take over Minas Morgul? That's when they take yep, over. Yeah, they take Morgul. over Minas Morgul, and then they kind of just stay there and lay low right. for hundreds of years. Um, right. So in this case, they could kind of be. What they could do here is have them be released released from the tomb and then ride straight for Mordor to kind of prepare for Sauron to relocate. Can there. I just say, I, I I think I've watched too much Robot Chicken. Because I have this just picture that makes me laugh of the Witch King of Anmar with a with a carpenter's belt on, mm-hmm. you know, giving orders around Mordor. <laughs> <laughs> Reconstructing everything. Reconstructing. And then there's like this big switch, you know, where they go, okay, Ed, flip the switch. Flip the switch and the big old eye comes on. <laughs> I'm sorry. Oh, God. I, I just... Whenever I read this answer, I always have that mental image. You know, they did all these for Star Wars. They did really funny send-ups of Star Wars. And, I mean, to me, this is like what they would do for, like, Lord of the Rings if they could. It's <laughs> <laughs> pretty good. Um, <laughs> so the, the, uh, the, the book slash Trish's robot chicken answer is A. They're back in they're back in Mordor rebuilding everything and plugging in the eye. Right. B is they're focused on Erebor, trying to help Smog, going after Bilbo and Thorin and the company, assisting in the fighting or preparing for the Battle of Five Armies, etc. This this to us seems like kind of the most dangerous answer. This right. is the one that, that opens up some of these potential um uh inconsistencies or problems. But but it's possible maybe they really don't know the rings there, and and uh, but their involvement with with the main Hobbit storyline is more that there's an alliance between Smaug and uh, Dol Guldur and maybe the the Goblin army from the Misty Mountains, and that they're involved with that somehow, and that you just never quite get close enough to Bilbo in the ring to notice it's there. Still seems problematic, but it's not impossible. 
C, they're focused on Dol Guldur, defending it from the White Council, preparing an attack of some kind from the south of Mirkwood, etc. Uh, and then D is kind of our the, our favorite, most hilarious answer, which is they're seeking for the ring. So they're like dredging the river. This is another perfect uh, robo-chicken thing. They're, they're like over there with teams of, of scuba divers searching the river, looking for the ring. dredge. Yep. Um, uh, searching for we, – we put this in – we put in searching for a land with the uncouth name of Shire because we're playing off of Radagast's words. But hopefully they haven't discovered the name of the Shire yet because theoretically right. they don't learn about that till the beginning of the Fellowship. But maybe right. what they're doing is looking for information about the heirs of Isildur or um, just kind of – you know, that they're kind of – they begin their mission to locate the ring. Uh, but and this is kind of a book answer, isn't it? I mean, I don't know that the Nazgul did, but didn't Sauron have minions? Yes, yes. This is also this a this yeah. is also a you know quite true to the spirit spirit of the book that right. that this is this is this is their primary role in the Fellowship of the Ring that they're pursuing right. the ring and trying to discover where the Shire is and and where it went. Uh, and this could kind of and and like you said, Sauron did have. Flunkies who are running up and down uh, um, the river near Gladden Fields, right. trying to. They know that that's. They know Isildur took the ring. They know that's where he died, and so they're looking and thinking maybe that's where the ring is. They could also maybe be looking for rumors of the uh, the heirs of of Isildur, looking for Aragorn essentially, because we know that he's right. he, he also right. has minions that are asking around about that. So. Right now, isn't there? Uh, I think it's an unfinished tales, isn't it? The hunt for the ring. Yes. And, and I do recommend. I think you know, if listeners, if you've not read that, I think you'd really enjoy reading that. The Hunt for the Ring. It's it's a couple of different versions. Christopher included the various versions, but it's this it's this part that Dave's talking about about the Nazgul figuring out where the Shire is and how do they figure it out and and all this kind of stuff. I just really enjoyed reading that because it's a great backstory. Oh yeah, it's really. I I I actually didn't read that. Until the first time I read that was like a few months ago. Like yeah. I don't know why I never read it, but I was digging through. Yeah. And I was like. What is this? I didn't even know this was in there, and I started reading it. It's like one of my favorite things in that, it is, in that yeah. whole book. Well, and they have actually – one of the things I liked about it was in one of the versions, he actually had the Witch King going to the Barrow Whites. In other words, he, that it was actually the Witch King that kind of like awoke the Barrow Whites and kind right. of – I think even Old Man Willow. So it was kind of like you know that explains sort of why that – Power was so active by the time the, the Frodo yep. and company got there, and I thought that was really cool. I really like that. Yeah, yeah, and you get to see you get to see some fun scenes between, or not scenes, but you get to, uh, descriptions of encounters between the Nazgul and um, and Saruman, and so and Warm Tongue yeah. too. Yeah. Didn't exactly. They? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So people definitely, yeah, people should definitely go read that. It's really fun, and and I think that there is some material in there, although. Theoretically, um, we can get into this a little bit more when we start talking about three films. Right. But um, there is material in there that could be interesting to mine for ideas of scenes for for how to have them be running around doing research and stuff, uh, uh, investigating where the ring might be. Issues, don't you? Yeah, there are. Yeah, like that is an issue. That that's something that people often forget. That they they assume that Peter Jackson just has access to this wealth of material, but technically, the only material he 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 actually um, legally has access to is the Lord of the Rings books and the Hobbit books. He doesn't have Silmarillion or History of Middle Earth or the History of the Hobbit or right. or um, or any of that or or Unfinished Tales or Lost Tales or any of that stuff. So, but there's still that doesn't mean that he couldn't read it and get some ideas. So, uh, <laughs> I definitely think when people are thinking about this question, reading The Hunt for the Ring is is a good sort of thing to kind of inform your your opinions. So. Um, 
let's get into what our analysts thought about this. Uh, Mark Fisher, uh, everyone's favorite book purist, even though he's given more non-book answers than book answers at this point. Um, he will forever be branded with that. He says... I'm not really sure how to take this new Nazgul development, to be honest. It certainly raises a ton of questions. I'm not sure I have much useful to contribute on this, but nonetheless I've put together a couple paragraphs. I confess I'm a bit taken aback by the whole entombed Nazgul development. If all nine really were imprisoned after the Battle of Fornost, that seems to unravel great chunks of history. The only loophole I can think of is, in fact, uh, think of is the fact that there's no mention of, of exactly when the tomb, tombs were opened. Perhaps the Nazgul have been at large for decades or centuries when their escape is discovered, which would give them time to capture Minas Morgul, get up to all other mischief history would seem to require. Anyway, assuming that the Nine really are abroad, what are they likely to be up to? I don't really have a clue on this, so this is even more of a piece of random guesswork than usual. <laughs> As far as your four other options are concerned, your four options are concerned, they are headed for Mordor, at least fit somewhat with the books. But after all the setup, it doesn't seem to have quite enough dramatic impact. Once we discover the ring raids are free and at large, they really have to do something a bit more significant than just, well, go home. I don't really see them fitting into the Erebor storyline either. The, that plot has quite enough peril and urgency without adding even more. And since the Nazgul would inevitably have to fail to stop the dwarves, they'd end up looking pretty inept. I suppose that places them at Dol Guldur, and they're likely. And if they're going to be there at all, I think their most important purpose will be to provide some suitably magical and dangerous opposition to Gandalf and his allies when the White Council attacks. I wouldn't completely dismiss your the idea of your option D of them seeking the ring in some way, though presumably not dredging for it. That would run nicely parallel to Bilbo's happening upon it by accident, and would help to explain why Saruman wants to help clear Sauron, Sauron out of Dol Guldur. If anything like that appears in the film, though, I think it'll be fairly incidental. Their major role, I'm guessing, will still be as a part of the White Council versus Dol Guldur storyline, so I'll go for option C this time. So well said, Mark. Yes. Yep. And and if I could go back in time and change my answer, that's what I would change it to. I I, I completely I, I think that's actually a very well reasoned like I don't know what I was thinking when I chose A. I think I must have been in You chose A A? Yes. Yes. I, I said they'll go home. I think I was being a I was being a, a uh, uh, I was being defensive at that time. I was I was in Tolkien purist mode, thinking like, well, I don't want them in this film. They'll be terrible. I, so make them go to Mordor. Make them go to Mordor. Um, but going back, especially with the with the addition of the the second with you know an extra film. Now I'm thinking, oh, there's too much screen time not to include extra scenes with them. Yeah. So I'm yeah. I'm bitterly regretting my answer of A at this point. Um, <laughs> But I think Mark, the one thing Mark tossed out that I hadn't thought of, which I think is an interesting idea, is I didn't think about all of the weird paradoxes of history that 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 arise in the larger legendarium if the Nazgul are have been imprisoned the whole time. If if in fact they just get released at the time of the Hobbit, that means they have to between the events of the Hobbit and the Lord of the Rings, they have to capture Minas Morgul, right. um, which is kind of odd and weird like Minas Morgul is supposed to have been well, no, captured and, this whole time and the king of Gondor uh, their last king of Gondor yeah. right Which they take although in, yeah. as Corey pointed out actually they don't really like they kind of befuddle that a bit in the Lord of the Rings films like you sort of if you right. watch the Lord of the Rings films without the Lord of the Rings books and appendices in the back of your mind you get the impression that Isildur was the last king 
That's true. Yeah. They, they kind of they, gloss over it. They don't yeah. address it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, they don't really talk much about any of his 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 uh, descendants yeah. or or what happens to their line, right. how it gets broken or anything. So, right, right. within the context of the films, it's not as big a deal, but it certainly seems kind of odd. Like, Minis, you know, what happened? Like, when was Minis Morgul captured? I guess we're not in the films. We're also well, but not that's so- the other thing too. Is yeah, we don't know that it didn't use. To, we in the films, we only know it as Minis Morgul, yeah, right? That's I mean, true. It never is said that it was ever Minis Ithil or anything Oops. else. I just threw something on the ground. <laughs> um, that is a, that's a good point too. Maybe in the fi- in the films we're not told its history, so maybe it was always evil, or maybe yeah. it was captured yeah. by someone else. So maybe it's not as big a problem. But from the standpoint of the books, it certainly introduces some complications. But yeah. his solution is an interesting one. Um, maybe maybe the tombs have been open for hundreds of years and nobody noticed. That's true too. Although I I don't think that's really likely though. Didn't didn't I I thought in the CinemaCon footage. It seemed like somebody said that they had been keeping an eye on her. I don't know. But it just seems like it would be something relatively recent that's been discovered. Yeah, I, I think I agree with that. Um, the and, one the and, one thing that's consistent with the movie that you can't get around is this whole effect the ring has on them thing. Mm-hmm. I mean, that still is in the movie, right? Yes. Yeah. So I, the whole I, idea of them being part of Battle of Five Armies is just really problematic. Yeah, I, that's why I'm sort of of the opinion that they must be kept as far – Away from the ring as possible, right? And, and right. the and the party in the main storyline. Not not right. to mention that I just think they're they're a bad you know a bad addition to that storyline. There's just too much going on there, and they're too complicated. And right. and and Mark brings up some some additional good points. Like these are fearsome foes that like <laughs> that like Gandalf says the wise um, would have difficulty standing against them when they're united under their fell chieftain, right. and. If they're at the Battle of Five Armies, how in God's name do, do, do the good right. guys win? Yeah. <clears throat> so – No, I think that's true. Um, whereas whereas putting them at Dol Goldor kind of allows you to – this is kind of the Cory principle uh, that he brought up when we started talking about um, Gollum escaping from the film or from the, uh-huh. the, from the, the mountains. <laughs> yes. God, I hope he doesn't escape from the film. <laughs> you know, this idea of when you, have, when you have a whole bunch of different characters that don't belong in the movie – Yeah. Right. Um, one of the best ways to to dispense with them is to 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 just put them all in parallel uh, storyline <laughs> together, where they're distracting each other. So maybe they're going after Gollum, or they're battling the the White Council, that kind of stuff. So I, I think I think oh, there's going to be a battle of Dol Guldur now. Yes, and and in, and there is there seems to be very good reason to believe that it's actually going to be fairly fairly. Um, that there's going to be a lot of screen time dedicated to yes, it now. Yes, right, right. In fact, I, I expect to see Elrond, Gandalf, and Galadriel yes. crossing the streams of their rings. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> wow. But don't cross the streams! But I also think it makes sense then for them to be there. And like you were just saying about how fearsome a foe they are, the other thing about it is, you know, we know – and I assume we'll find out in the movie too that Sauron was preparing to go to Mordor anyway. Yep. Um, which you know we could end up seeing the Nazgul sort of being there, faking getting beaten, or yes. you know holding the fort for Sauron while he makes his getaway, or you know that kind yeah. of thing. In, a, in this case, yes, it seems in this like this seems like a good way to use them because there's a plausible logical explanation right. for why they wouldn't succeed. They were why they wouldn't sense the ring then, right. because they're now far enough away. Yeah, they're 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 too far away. Their their minds are focused on other things, that kind of stuff. And and in this case and and also 
you know, why aren't they able to defeat the White Council? Well, the White Council is very powerful, but also they weren't even trying. All the, right. Their job was just to hold them off long enough right. for Sauron to get out right. of there. You know, to, right. Yeah, it's yeah. a feint. So yeah. and it's all it's, – it's consistent with the storyline as we know it from the books. It's consistent with the storyline we expect them to tell. It doesn't, doesn't cause the, the, the audience to sit there and say, well – you know that makes no no sense and and it doesn't reduce their fearsomeness you know like like mark mm-hmm. said if they if they go riding after the dwarves and they utterly fail to capture them uh then they kind of start to look like bumbling oafs that's right that's that won't make sense yeah. at all yeah. yeah or if they're on flying beasts that's even worse you know like in the battle fight armies yes. flying like they do at the battle of pelennor fields i mean that like you say i mean they would should be able to win mm-hmm. if you know especially if all nine are there yep Yep, I I agree. I mean, I, I think there's some 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 sort of some issues you have to deal with. The same kind of issues you have to deal with uh, with Sauron. Sort of what like what do they look like? What's their shape? What's their right. guise? Because right. you know, uh, uh, at least according true. to the books, they're not really supposed to be riding around in black cloaks at this point. Yeah, that's but, right. But if you don't, oh, put, they probably will though. But if, I mean, they probably won the movie, right? If you don't put them in black cloaks, then for one thing, what do you do with them? And two. Right. The audience won't recognize them. Won't recognize them. Yeah, it's so. gonna be. It's the same thing, kind of thing as Gollum. You know, there's there'll be a, a point of continuity for the audience. Yes, but uh, but yeah, I think the, the the White Council seems to be a, a fairly a fairly reasonable way yeah. to put them to use that doesn't introduce any major, real, glaring problems with the story. So, well, now if you want to change your answer, I won't tell anybody. Nope, I'm not changing it. <laughs> Nope, I'm standing by it. There actually, there's still a part of me. Like I talked through it with Father Roderick, and he ultimately, um, he actually initially was leaning toward uh, uh, A, and then right. decided, oh no, never mind. Uh, C is too good of an answer. Um, but I still think like the 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 things that he brought up for why A would seem reasonable, I think are still plausible, right. if right. not likely. That 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 it's possible that. That they will be mentioned and used as kind of a, a an interesting you know a mystery device like what happened to them or whatever right. you know what's going on but 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 what they'll be used to do is point toward the necromancer and Dol Guldur but they won't really be actively involved in the story so I still think that's plausible seems unlikely but but it's not not completely implausible so I, i'm standing by my i'm standing by my answer i will accept just as you were noble and and kept your <laughs> and the last one yeah yeah um falling on my sword we're gonna each fall on our yeah, swords yes for... that's okay. right for honor's sake we're, we're pulling a <laughs> we're pulling i don't know if you've read game of thrones we're pulling a ned stark we're standing yeah, by i've been actually reading your episodes right now as part of the modern fantasy class oh okay how far along are you Oh my gosh! Um, not I doesn't about halfway, I guess. And about you haven't read it before, before right? No, I hadn't read it. Before. Okay, well, no. we're we're taking the Ned Stark approach, honor above all. <laughs> about yeah, that's right, honor above all. Okay, yes, I so. I know what that means. Yes, yes. I haven't you, seen. Well, the show. you haven't seen I what it really. Sean Bean, you haven't seen what it really means, but you'll no. you'll find out. <laughs> um, so so I'm going to stand by my answer. Um, so uh, we don't have any other. Analyst contributions for this episode, unfortunately, but we do have all of their answers except yours, Trish. Uh, yes. And there is a good mixture of this shows how how what a point of contention this is. There's a good mixture of C's and A's. Yeah. There are one, two, one, two, two, three, four, five, 
Five and five, I think. One, two, three, one, two, no, three, four. Yeah, you're four, right. It five, is five, five and five. <gasps> I'll be the tiebreaker. Yeah, you'll be the tiebreaker. Oh my god. So it's a good mixture, and and it's well yeah. represented on the on the side of the A's, the book purists. There is me, surprisingly not Mark, Arwen, <laughs> Hannah, Lilio, Nolorio, and the Last Alliance. On the side of the, um, we want to see a an Avengers style battle, uh, superhero battle. There's Corey. Mark, Father Roderick, and Merrick and Golden Star. So, um, I think it's a, I think it's a fantastic question. I think there's a lot of interesting ideas here. Um, I think that that this becomes even more interesting in light of the fact that there's going to be an extra film because I think there's just so much right. potential to use them on screen to not use them. So I, I think it weakens the case for A, but not completely eliminates it. So, um. Uh, do you want to do comments from our from our yeah, listeners? Or? Yeah, we had some good comments from folks. Um, uh, the folks that are listening may not remember what they said. <laughs> it's been a while since this episode. Right. Uh, but Brianna, um, base I put her first because she kind of is saying she's voicing kind of what I thought too, which is before the CinemaCon news, I had assumed they weren't going to make an appearance at all in the films, which is a reasonable assumption. Um, she said, I feel like they'd be too big of a distraction and their presence would be too big of a deal out of the ring, which while an important link to the trilogy uh, needs to be downplayed in order to focus on the story at hand. Having the Nazgul involved in other events like the business with Smaug would create too many problems from a writing perspective. It would throw off the already present balance of powers. So I'm going to have to go with A. So she's she's going down on the side of A. Um, the one thing I would probably say in this case is I, I think subsequently, maybe we didn't know it at the time of CinemaCon, but I think, you know, this whole Battle of Dol Guldur thing, I think it's becoming evident that we're actually going to have two storylines. One is the storyline that's you know pretty much the book, and then we've got this other storyline which really only is represented by maybe a sentence or two in the book and in the appendices, which is this whole Dol Guldur thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, but I agree with her. I'm you know they that was the problem I had at the time, which I was thinking strictly in terms of the Hobbit storyline. I'm like, what the hell are you going to do with the Nazgul? Um, so anyway, so Michael Lucero brings up a point. Um, he reminds us that the reports specifically said that men bound them in the tombs using powerful spells or magic. He says, one of the things that really bothers me about this is the idea that men sealed the ring rats in their tombs. If it were elves or wizards, then I could reluctantly begrudgingly accept it. But the idea that men have enough magical power or sorcery to defeat the Nazgul seems to me a ludicrous idea. I could be wrong, but I don't think there's any textual suggestion that men have anything like magic or spells. He says, I think it's very easy to answer the question of how they would how they would show option A in the film. Scenes of Ringrass presiding over the rebuilding of the Dark Tower, the for- with, of course, carpenter belts, the forging of new yes. orc arms, etc., like the similar scenes in the Fellowship at Isengard when Saruman is doing his thing. So uh, yeah, a good, I hadn't remembered that, actually. I thought that was a good point he made. What? The, about the men's about magic? The men, yeah. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I, I do remember that. Um, and that does I, – I mean – it bothers me. It doesn't. Bo- it bothers me. Uh, well, mildly. it doesn't. It mildly bothers. Yeah, you. it doesn't really bother me that much in the sense that I know that's the world that that Peter Jackson's setting up. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. one where you have magic like that. Um, uh, and 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 uh, you know, it's kind of a more a Dungeons and Dragons type of magic. And and in a world where you have Dungeons and Dragons type magic, 
where 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 your your power you know in Tolkien magic is a lot more kind of uh, I, I, don't, I don't even know what the right word is but you, it's not even really appropriate to speak of magic it's more power and yeah, power isn't. yeah and right. power is really tied to your stature you know and right, and, right. and and in this case when you have just more kind of magic and spells and that kind of stuff yeah fine I'm willing to accept that the the men of the men of um the 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 you know the that the Dunedine of the North were able to to cobble together some some pretty potent spells well, you know maybe this is jackson's having to make the you know uh, make the live action role-playing people happy too let's not forget <laughs> you know, he has multiple audiences here that's right oh yeah the possibilities from from for larping are just that's right absolutely <laughs> <laughs> um, okay well let's move on here so brent sprinkle one of our one of our um uh, prolific commenters. Mm-hmm. He's going with option C because this would be if kind of like for, I think what we just talked about. This would be a good enemy for the White Council if indeed we get to see the Avengers or an army attacking Sauron in Dol Guldur. We don't really know what is at the fortress in Southern Mirkwood other than the pits where Thryon is kept and Sauron. Since we don't know what form Sauron has while abiding there, we can't really know how much of a threat he actually is. Would he come out and fight them? It would be anticlimactic to be building up this conflict between the White Council and Sauron only to see Sauron with his tail between his legs because all that's all that's there are he and a few orcs <laughs> the regress would give him more power and strength at his fortress and it also is a good concrete way of showing him gaining power and i think all those are good points interesting i think all of those are good points it is good you know this is really interesting because i i do see you know the split on the an, an analyst between a and c is a valid split i think there's arguments to be made yes. on both sides yep now again speaking of splits i mean the nine could be split also which is you know we it just may not necessarily be all nine at mordor and all nine at gal guldur it could be split you know they they both could be right yeah i i, I think he has a very good point that it's one thing to say on screen, like, "Oh, the necromancer's growing in power," and um, and right. to kind of, you know, and to have them wonder who it might be, and start to wonder if it could be Sauron or one of the 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 um, the ring raids. It's another thing to uh, it's another thing to show it on screen. Uh, you know, in the books, in the books, especially since. Especially since in the books we don't really learn any of this story until right. the Council of Elrond. Right. You know, we're just getting it told to us by Gandalf in Elrond. So we, you know, okay, fine, we just accept it. But on screen, and even in the Council, there's not a super lot of detail, right? No, there isn't a lot of detail. Uh, but they, but they recount it, and you're like, okay, fine. Elrond and Gandalf are telling right. me this story, so I believe it. But in a yeah. movie. It's it's really not enough to just say, boy, he's gaining in power. Like, okay, yeah. what does that mean? Yeah. How is he getting power? But if what we see is is if the first thing we hear is that um, that the the Nazgul have been have escaped, uh, that they are uh, from these tombs, and then next thing you know, we see them popping up at Dol Guldur, and 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 we see mysterious right. things going on there. We do know. That that there that there were competing theories about the identity of the necromancer in the White Council, and that many of them thought it was one of the uh, one of the or Nazgul. the Witch King himself, yeah, yeah or maybe the Witch King. King. That you know, and that, that 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 is kind of a that's kind of a nice alternative theory to just automatically jumping to the conclusion that it was Sauron. And so having them pop up at Dol Goldor and kind of be floating around there is great because it one it shows why thing it, it gives you it gives you the impression that this is a real threat building right. at Dol Goldor. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. two, it allows it allows 
allows it for that it allows for the necromancer to plausibly be somebody other than Sauron. Oh, other well, than maybe, Sauron. Yeah, maybe it's and one of the know, ring now ladies. that you're saying that, I think that actually could be the way they go because I do remember from the CinemaCon footage that the Witch King was specifically mentioned. In other mm-hmm. words, they made a point. I remember saying this in the in the net moot to you guys during the episode. It's like, don't you think it's significant that the Witch King actually gets mentioned, you know, in the conversation when they're talking about the tombs being opened up? That you, now that you're saying this, I I'll bet you that's what we see is we see them jumping to the conclusion that the necromancer is actually the witch king yeah you know based on the fact that the tombs have been opened so all this time through who knows what all the way through the battle maybe all the way almost through all the three movies they are thinking it's the witch king and oh my god they discover it's actually sauron who they thought had been defeated you know permanently in the last alliance yep yeah, I think that I think that's um, a very I think that's a very plausible and interesting idea. I think maybe the complication uh, that this tomb thing brings up is uh, is is um, who opened it and let them out. Right. So right. It, it, it's right. It, it's so I kind of see them going in one of two directions. That either either what either they could play up this idea that that while they escaped, we don't know how. Now there's this threat in Dol Guldur, and it looks like it might be one of the, the – it looks like the ring raids might have landed there, and it might be them. The right. the other direction you could go in is sort of um, somebody let the ring raids out. And, you know, Maybe there was a dude, the necromancer, beforehand, uh, and then the ring raids get out, and they think it was the necromancer, and that opens up questions about his identity. Like how right. how was he right. powerful enough to let them right. out? And now they've showed up at Dol Guldur. I don't know which route they're going to go. The now, other I thing do have some, I do have an interesting comment about that. I'll get sure. to in a second. Well, the but, the other ahead. thing that the the thing that Father Roderick pointed out in our conversation the other day is uh, where are these tombs, and could they just be at Dol Guldur? Oh, that's a. Po- I, I didn't even consider that, but yeah, that seems like a possibility who, too. Who presents the Morgul knife? Do you remember? Is it Gandalf that brings the Morgul knife, to, or is it somebody he, delivers it that we don't know from off screen? I guess we don't actually know. I think. Presumably, we assume that Gandalf found it because he's the one talking about. So it, they could it's a be a Dolgoldor. Actually, those tombs could be. Because yeah. I mean, that's one of the one of the one of the question, open questions that we have is um, uh-huh. all these scenes we see of G- Gandalf sneaking around like James Bond. Is he in right. the tombs? Is he in Dolgoldor? Is he in both or neither? Where is he, and when? And if if the tombs just happen to be at Dol Guldur, that makes that a lot simpler. That makes it a lot simpler. Yeah, I hadn't yes. thought of that. Oh, he see Father Roderick is so smart. I know. Yep, I know. Boy. All right, well, let me go on with, with the other ones I've got here. So Allie from Italy is going with option C. Um, but uh, as a professor said that Sauron may divide the ring, and this is what I said earlier, the, uh, may divide the ring rest into groups and pairs and have them do different stuff. Here is how I think PJ will do it. He will have Sauron send the Witch King to Minas Morgul and Mordor to prepare for his arrival. He will then send two ring rests in search of the ring, two to the dwarves in their kingdom, and a partridge in a pear tree. As I believe I read in the Lord of the Rings where at Council of Elrond... Oh, oh that, that's, this is a good point, actually. At Council of Elrond, Balin says something... Uh, Balin. It wasn't Balin, was it? Uh, it couldn't have been. Somebody else says something about the ring rest coming to them with an invitation. Remember that in the Council of Iran? Uh, it was, was the Glowin, I think it was, wasn't it? It couldn't have been Balin. That said something about the ring rats actually came to the Lonely Mountain with an invitation. Um, I don't know if that fits in with the timelines, though, and the other three ring rats he would use for the defense against the White Council. I do recall that from Council of Elrond. I think it was Glowin that said that the ring rats had come to the Lonely Mountain 
with some kind of invitation. Oh, so you mean you mean when we're talking, they're talking about uh, when the when everyone's taking turns recounting. Here's my news. Right. And there's something in the big right. picture. It's not one of the ring raids. It's a messenger oh, from Mordor. It's a messenger from Mordor. Oh, okay. Um, that they had been waiting. So it's um it's um. Oh, that's right. It would have been one of the ring raids. Yeah, it's yeah. Glowin recounting the story, and he's been sent as a messenger from um, uh, Dain, the king under the mountain. Right. And what he's coming to, you know, he, he tells the story about Balin trying to retake uh, Moria and that, how that years went by and they had no word and they were waiting for messengers from Moria. And then in, one night a, Mor, uh, a messenger showed up, but from Mordor, not from Mordor. Moria. Right. And it was an offer to, you know, essentially, hey, help us out, help us find the, the hobbit and we'll give you some of the the dwarven ring. So I don't right. think they don't specify who it was, but I don't think it would have been. They did specifically say it was. Yeah, an and 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 given that what the 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 indication that Glowen makes is that the message is meant to sound like a genuine and sweet offer. I uh, suspect that Nazgul would probably not be the right messenger. No, true. To send yeah, no, you're right. They don't yes. generally inspire trust or no. faith. Yeah. Um, but, uh, so basically Allie is thinking maybe of splitting them up. I know Corey had talked about that in the episode, you know, where the, all nine may not stay together and he may do different things with them. I, I don't know. I think that gets a little complex, frankly. Um, although I suppose that, you know, they could be split between Mordor and Minas Morgul, but even that might be too complex for, for the audience. Now, here is one that's kind of interesting. Oh, wait a minute. Did I miss one? I think I missed one. Uh, oh, Andy. I missed Andy. Oh, my gosh. How could I miss Andy? So Andy Higgins, who's another one of my wonderful Mythgard fellow students mm-hmm. and who has been lurking until now. But he had to – he ha- he said that the this was back, of course, at episode eight. He said this scenario is really doing his head in. So he had to say something. He's voting for C, but he wanted to point out, you know, I think what we've said before, which is the le- – you know, the Nazgul are led out of the tomb hunting for the ring. Would they not detect that Bilbo has the ring? Um, this is a tricky business bringing the Nazgul when no one uh, knows what, what Bilbo's ring is. But if it is the ring, then the Nazgul would be drawn to it. Very confusing. But if they do this, it will be interesting to see how uh, the retcon – how the retcon – how, oh, how he's going to consi- coincide it with the uh, Lord of the Rings. But I think this is answered by the fact that now we're seeing that there's kind of two storylines. And if we keep the Nazgul Dal Guldur, then we mm-hmm. don't end up with this um, this muddying of the waters with regard to the ring. Now, Brian brings up an interesting one. He quotes us uh, something that Quickbeam over at the One Ring uh, .net wrote after have, after seeing the CinemaCon uh, footage. Now, remember, listeners, this is CinemaCon. So this is a while ago. This isn't Comic Con. CinemaCon mm-hmm. yep. footage. It shows Christopher Sir Christopher Lee in front of a green screen, looking at the table where Gandalf has just pla- oh, so Gandalf has just placed the Morgul blade. Urgent discussion ensues around about the nature of the weapon, and a luminous, <laughs> a luminous Kate Blanchett gets the lion's share of the expository dialogue. She explains how the men of the north once battled against the witch king of Angmar and succeeded in burying him in a spell-protected crypt so dark and deeply buried it would never see the light again. Gandalf raises his eyebrows as if to say, well, it's right here, so don't, so never say never. Hugo Weaving provides the deep voice, but that's impossible, incredulity of the scene, while the faintest flicker of wickedness passes across Sarah's face. Specifically, the last bit of that last sentence. Brian says, so now I'm wondering if they might have Saruman freeing the ring, freeing the ring rasp, part of the setting up of his fall. That faintest flicker of wickedness could be him thinking dark and deeply buried, huh? Yeah, it was. So, you know that's so that's another possibility is mm-hmm. Saruman might 
be the one freeing them for his own, you know, toward his own wicked ends, maybe thinking he could dominate the ring wraths, you know, that he himself is looking for the ring. He frees the ring wraths to maybe help him out. I don't know. I, it's possible. That is a, that is a very interesting notion. I, I'm not sure I'm completely convinced yet, but it's certainly, yeah, I'm not either, but it's, I think it's, but I, I can't idea. just dismiss it out of hand. So the the next thing that we come to, and actually this is a conversation that actually got started in this with this episode, and I think it segues into the next episode we're going to be dealing with, which is uh, episode thirteen, at least for me it does, which is this whole question of can we trust Jackson and company? And mm-hmm. you know, you you talked about it in the last episode we just did, last I just episode we just did, um, but it started here actually. Brent uh, was saying. Um, the Ring Rass were a very iconic villain in Lord of the Rings, in talking about the movies, and believe it is a good way to link the two movie, the two sets of movies. However, far from the book they stray however far from the book they stray for non Tolkien fans. While I cringe at the thought of the Ring Rass being included in the movie, I trust in Peter Jackson to not go to the extreme. To which Michael responded, What do you mean, trust Peter Jackson? Really? I don't, not at all. He went to the extreme and basically reinventing Faramir from whole cloth in the two towers without a shred of reference to his ter- character as Tolkien wrote him. The whole point of Faramir was how different he was from his brother, but Jackson decided to just make him Boromir, t- Boromir 2.0 in terms of his lust for the ring and his obsession with pleasing his father. <laughs> and then Brent responds, what I meant <laughs> by trusting Peter Jackson is that I don't believe he would go as far as having ring rest throughout the whole movie like in Dol Guldur in the Battle of Five Armies, plus trying to hinder Bilbo and the dwarves at the same time. Um, I, I, weigh, I am weighing in here. I mean Jackson did change fundamental things about Lord of the Rings. Mm-hmm. And though they have served well as a gateway for many people to the books, which we've discussed, mm-hmm. I don't consider him trustworthy in Ray getting it right. I mean, I think it's a trustworthy in the sense of like you said it last time, you know, telling a story and the spirit of the story and stuff. But gosh, you know, as Corey points out in several of his podcast lectures, you know, one must consider Jackson's films one story and Tolkien's another story. Mm-hmm. You know, Corey has said that a couple of times in his in his things, and I can't have to keep remembering that. You know, he says the best way to deal with this is. Jackson is telling a story and Tolkien told a story and you know you kind of have to somehow in a zen way keep keep that in mind you know there's two stories the thing that bothers me about this is that a day may come when Jackson's version becomes the de facto standard and that will be a sad day I mean I think that's what bothers me the most about this is that when a day comes when people are saying oh no no it was this the battle of Dol Guldur was blah 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 and it's like well wait a minute that was Jackson's invention <laughs> you know right. it's like it wasn't Tolkien but this sort of sets us up for episode 13 I mean there is this question of you know how far do we trust Jackson and I know you you expanded in quite some detail in the last digest we just did mm-hmm. well, and for me it's an open question uh, I mean <sighs> I must say that I've become more uh, I've become more uh, at peace with the with this Nazgul thing. I mean, this Nazgul thing does really rub me the wrong way. I mean, it's a complete fabrication. It's not just. It's not like Faramir. I mean, Faramir at least was a was a character in the Lord yeah. of the Rings. <laughs> you know what I mean? I mean, this is completely for me. It was completely out of nowhere. And like you, at the time that this was first announced, and you guys did the episode, I was just beside myself. Now that we're seeing this other storyline developing, this Dol Guldur storyline, as you and I have talked about now, 
I'm up more at peace with this because I can see that that would probably be where they're slotting in. I'm still not really thrilled with Jackson doing this because where does it stop? You know, and my, my question is, where does it stop? Well, okay, so we invent Terriel and we invent the Nazgul and where do we stop inventing? Well, uh, it's good. It's a good question. I guess my personal feeling is, is I, I think on the whole, I trust him not to do anything that's completely absurd. You know, like I, I agree because because uh, while I agree with I agree with um, uh, the reaction to the Faramir character that like that like you know that that basically Faramir the point of Faramir is that he was different and that um, that 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 the version of him on screen basically destroyed that and that it, right. it was kind of almost like like you know and that that if you really loved Faramir. For for his for the fact that he was different, that it you know like that that was really upsetting to see that on screen to see a Bormir right. Jr. Right. Um, Bormir Jr. Yeah. I I I I agree with that reaction, and I didn't like him, and I don't like watching it on screen. I usually try to fast forward past that scene that takes place <laughs> in Osgiliath. Um, but at the same time, I don't like I I I at least can understand to some extent why he did it. Um. You know that 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 in general, a lot Tolkien's characters are static. That there's not a ton of you know they're they're they don't have arcs or growths or something because they're beyond the like the Hobbit characters because they're mythic. You know that they're they're sort of mythic figures as opposed to characters. And that and and Faramir really fits into that. Um, you know he does have some some interesting some interesting tension and in, 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 with other characters like his father Denethor and 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 the sort of interesting bizarre romance that he has with Eowyn in the houses of the healing uh, in the house of healing <laughs> but but he doesn't really have an arc and 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 I can kind of see why he what he wanted to do was he wanted to show you know, not have him just automatically be the good son or the good character, the better version of Boromir, who, who's who's just better, but rather show that he's different from Boromir in the sense that he learns his lesson. So initially, he's initially has kind of the same reaction. He's maybe not quite as dangerous as Boromir. Like he's not trying to take the ring, but rather he's just taking Frodo back to 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 my, uh, Minas Tirith. But but you know through the course of events he learns like he he actually gets it in the end and that that in some sense that's more interesting on screen than just right. having him be right from the very beginning like i under, kind of understand why peter jackson did, you know would choose to do that and and i think I don't well, and know. The whole, you I don't, know, younger son and little brother having yeah. big brother envy. That's a pretty common theme Trope, for audiences yeah. that all, yeah that people can recognize. Yep. So I, I agree. I think it, I think it's one of those things about trying to for a, for a modern audience that hasn't read it and isn't um uh isn't sort of. Uh, isn't familiar with this kind of telling this this right. epic mode of storylines. Right. Um, like I, I I can understand why he would do it, and and I think it works to a degree. At least other people who aren't as familiar with the books as I am say they think it makes sense and works. I I right. I, I can't separate it from my. Me neither. Well, yeah. the same thing with Aragorn being coming a weenie, you know, right. in the movies. Yep. I mean, I it's hard for me, but but I can see somebody who had never read the books, they wouldn't think twice about. Yeah, I completely I, I agree. So so in that sense, I trust him from that standpoint. Do right. I do I trust right. that what will come out of the, the, the scene? Uh, do I trust that the final product will please me in every way? No. no. Do I trust that he will <laughs> slavishly follow the books? No. no. 
Um, do I? But I think for the most part, I think he won't do anything completely absurd or, or screw anything up or, or intentionally damage it or tell an absurd story that doesn't make any sense. Uh, I think he's a good enough filmmaker that he won't do that. Yeah, yeah I mean, the thing that bo- the things that bother me so far is the Tombs of the Nazgul bo- does still bother me, but I'm getting to be more okay with that, especially mm-hmm. given the extension of the three movies and the dog will do thing. The, as you know, as anybody that listened to episode 13 knows, the Galadriel-Gandalf question bothers me, but I honestly, as I said, I said it in the episode and I'll stick with it, that I honestly do think that that is just representing a very close friendship and an alliance as opposed to some kind of a relationship and I, God, I'm going to be really disappointed if I'm wrong about that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I realized, you know, actually that we do not see Gandalf and Galadriel interact with one another in the books. Yes. Even when they go to the Grey Havens at the very end, they're not really talking to each other. They talk to the hobbits, you know? So I think there may be in the, um, in the um, unfinished tales, uh, you know, in the white council background there, there might be, but not, there's not really very much interaction. So we've never really seen them interact before. So, you know, I mean, I, I could see they knew each other in Valinor and, you know, I mean, this is a longstanding friendship and okay, I'll, I'll go with that. And then what was the other one? Toriel, that I can live with that. Keely, you know, making Keely into a poster dwarf, I'm not crazy about. I mean, that to me is just Hollywood nonsense, but okay. You know, and so those don't really thrill me, but I think like that, I think I do trust Jackson to to stay with the spirit of the story to um not get crazy uh you know and and there are going to be things that I don't like but and and I'm going to get to a couple of those in just a second you know when we're talking about uh episode 13 stuff um I do think I have a point about you know that I do want to make and, and hear your input on but anyway so yeah I think it's a I think it's a yes no I mean kind of a yeah I trust him in these areas and then not so much in these other areas <laughs> So, I yep. mean, I, and I said to you before, you know, I said it to you before you, you disagreed with me, but I mean, I can't think of a better person to do these films. I mean, I just, I think he's, I think he did, I think he did the best job anybody could do with the Lord of the Rings. And, I, you know, I think he's doing the same thing with the Hobbit. I mean, and I said this before, I think I said it on, when I was with you guys on episode 13, I mean, I did my paper last semester on, on Disney's Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs versus the Hobbit, which both came out in the same year and both, you know, had dwarves in it and both are, are, you know, looking back now in history, you know, consummate storytellers um, and seeing and kind of studying what Disney did to the Grimm's fairy tale in order to get up on the screen gave me kind of a new appreciation of what Jackson is having to do. You know, he has to make it be appealing to to broader audiences than just those of us who are Tolkien geeks. You know what I mean? It's like it's got to be something that's going to be a box office success and that's got to appeal to people who are Iron Man fans and you know, Dark Knight fans and everything else. So, and, and, and chick flip, you know, there's got to be some chick stuff in there too. So mm-hmm. he's got different pressures that he's got to respond to. And I have to, you know, there's, so I got to respect that, you know, in, in, in him telling a story. So I think he's going to do the best he can given those pressures. Yep. I, that, I agree with that. So anyway, um, all right. So I am going, I'm going, I, if, if you haven't been able to predict up to this point, I'm going with C, which is the Dal Guldur storyline. Um, I mean, I, they could be split, but I'm thinking it's going to probably be all nine and they're going to be, and I think we'll see the Witch King, you know, in some guise or other at, at Dol Guldur, and he may be actually in the vanguard of staving off the White Council so that uh, um, Sauron can make his escape. And we yep. may not find out it was Sauron for a while, actually, which will be interesting. I think that's a very wise decision. <laughs> 
So we'll see. This is this is going to be one of the interesting ones to see how it turns out in the movie. And probably another reason why I need to go to the movie with people that I know well, so I won't get thrown out. <laughs> As I stand up in the movie and go, ah! <laughs> yeah. Right again! I'm in the lead! <laughs> oh, gosh. All right. So anyway, I think that does us, That does that complete episode eight for us? Um. Yep, yeah, pretty much. Other than you're going to add Father Roderick's and your conversation at the end of yep. this. Yep, not going to stick it in right now. It's it's okay. uh it's it's very entertaining, but uh it's uh it's it's a little lengthy, a little lengthy. Okay, all right. I look forward to that. I always love listening to you guys talk about this stuff. So, shall we move on to episode thirteen then? Yes, we should. Dun 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 dun. Of course, the question is kind of an anticlimax. Uh, yeah. So, um. This question is utterly uncontroversial. People will recall in the 13th episode of Riddles in the Dark, um, <clears throat> we uh, asked the question, when Peter Jackson says he wants to do some additional filming next year, what will it be for? And um, at the time, which was almost immediately after Comic-Con, but before the infamous Facebook post, we, we all we had were, were, were swirling rumors about a third Hobbit film or extra filming. Peter Jackson hadn't confirmed the third film, but had said he was interested in doing some additional filming. Um, there was, uh, there was also, um, uh, you know, just a lot of rumors and, and about what that might be because he had mentioned the appendices of Lord of the Rings and how there was all this extra story that they could delve into. And so, um, I think a lot of people were sort of, were, there was, there was debate. There was kind of generally two camps. There were people who said, this is going to be, they're going to make three films out of The Hobbit, hooray, uh, or, 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 you know, oh my God, they're going to make three films, those money-grubbing jerks. Um, <laughs> then there was the other camp of people who are like, no, 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 they're going to leave the they're going to leave the Hobbit alone as two films. They're going to maybe add some extra material on the DVD and Blu-ray, but maybe they're also going to film a third, quote unquote, a third film, an extra film that is a bridge film. There was a lot of discussion about a bridge film, and so um, we were wondering, okay, if Peter Jackson says he wants to go back and film some more. Uh, next year, what's it going to be for? And uh, and um, we gave options that kind of just go down the list of, of the things that we just mentioned. A, they will split the second film in two, turning The Hobbit into a trilogy. B, they will squeeze the extra stuff into a very extended edition of the two films on DVD and Blu-ray. C, they will put the extra stuff into a bonus short film, separate from the two main films, included only on the DVD and Blu-ray editions. D, they will save it for a later sequel bridge film covering material from the chronological period between The Hobbit and The Lord of the Rings. So, um, uh, <clears throat> basically, uh, their, you know, A, of course, is what has happened. Um, I suppose that D is not entirely impossible, that there could even be a later sequel or bridge film, um, but we, we don't, we know for sure that, that if, Peter Jackson does additional filming next year. What it will probably be for is uh, either the second or third Hobbit film. So we know that A is the correct answer. They are. They did in fact decide to um, make three films about the main Hobbit storyline uh, instead of just two films. I'm sure there will probably still be material that gets cut and uh, and added to the extended edition of the films on the DVD Blu-ray. I doubt they'll make an extra bonus short film at this point. That answer seems very unlikely. Um, uh, and the bridge film is kind of to be determined way down the road, probably. 
Um, although if I had to guess, I'd say probably not. So, uh, so this answer, of course, is. I, I still think that the, I still think that that question about the bridge film could stand. I, I think, you know, our answers could stand. It may take us a few years to know if we're right or not. Yes. But I'm thinking if the Hobbit trilogy is popular, then I think a bridge film is highly likely. Yeah, yeah. So, so we did, in addition to our riddle, we also had a conundrum, conundrum number, number five, which was, will they make a sequel bridge film? So I definitely, I still, I do, th- I think that, that still stands. stands. I think, um, yeah, I think definitely. Think I think stands. I would probably. I'm trying to remember what my answer was. We all said yes. Uh, I think we all, all said, said yes. yes. I think I would be tempted to revise that, and I think since I haven't sent this out to our analysts yet, yeah, I think no, I'm, yeah. I'm going to give everybody a chance to revise it. Um, uh, uh, I think, I, I think I would say no at this point. I don't think they will do it eventually. I, I think, I think think they are. I I think think they they will, but it's, yeah, but it, but I, the reason I think they will is because I think the Hobbit will be successful. If the Hobbit trilogy is not successful, then they won't. But I think if the Hobbit is successful, the studio, because somebody made a point and I can't remember where it was. I don't think it was in our comments that, that Warner Brothers needs a new franchise because the Dark Knight is kind of going away. Harry Potter's gone away. Um, so this is kind of like their new franchise. And if the Hobbit is successful as a trilogy, then I think they're going to, they're going to like push on Jackson to, to pull some more stuff out of the appendices and make a bridge film. You don't, you don't think maybe they'll, they won't just um, try to start aggressively pushing the, the Tolkien estate to hand over more rights. I would imagine they would probably try to do that as well. But what do you think the likelihood of that happening? I mean, I personally would love to see Christopher give in because if if Christopher would license the Silmarillion as a movie while he's still alive, he can he can require that he be part of the decision making. Yeah. You know, whereas if if he doesn't, if he stays steadfast, his heirs do it. He's never going to have. A- uh, okay, I I actually I think that's a very good point. I suspect. That if he were willing to engage and to assist and supervise the way that J.K. Rowling has, right. I suspect we would probably get something better. Like if he would – if he'd like maybe sit down and watch the Game of Thrones series on um, HBO, yeah. maybe he would be inspired to have a little faith and to say, I'll happily sell you the rights, but you have to make a TV series. You're not allowed to make a film. Right. Like he could specify that. Whereas well, – he could specifically say you can only do Baron and Luthien or you can yeah. only do Turin Turinbar or you can only do you know pieces, some piece. Whereas I have – I've spoken – with a, um, I spoken during our during our um, our adventures last, I guess it was last fall, almost almost a year ago. Wow. Our adventures with the the War in the North um, video game documentary. Oh and right, stuff, right, right. We got to meet some folks from Warner Brothers, and and they had expressed their faith that um, that that these the Silmarillion rights eventually would be made available. That that um, Christopher Tolkien's children and grandchildren right. seem fairly uh, right. seem a, lo- a lot more open to well, it. Well, I mean Simon, his I don't think it's Christopher's son, yeah. but Simon is a writer in L.A. I mean he's actually yes. living in L.A. Simon yeah. Tolkien, and, and, so, a, and apparently one of the grandchildren is a, a huge fan of video games, and so oh. so uh, the yeah. Warner Brothers people are this this person we spoke to at least seemed quite confident. That that this would happen eventually, and that they would right. be making Silmarillion right. video games and stuff. So, wow. I, I personally, I kind of agree with your point. There's no way it's going to happen. He's just he's against it. Yeah. I hope that when the Silmarillion rights do come out, that they will do either a HBO t- television series that would type be thing, awesome. or I think that's the way to do it. Or they do a um, 
or they do a, a you know like an um, MMORPG type game, something where they can really unfold right. the story. I, I think if they, I think, and there's... I hope that the errors, you know, Christopher probably won't do it, but I hope the errors will stipulate that they have to do it. You know, they have to be included in the decision making, like yeah. rolling. And, and yeah. I'm assuming Martin was for Game of Thrones. Yeah, I, 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 I think I, I think I agree with that. I still think what, however they do it. I think there are parts of the Silmarillion that just aren't going to make them. No, I agree. They're going to be terrible. Um, I think there are some that are awesome stories. I mean, Baron and Luthien, awesome. Yeah, but, but there's even elements of that story. Like every every confrontation using magic is going to be turned into a, uh, exchanging oh. fireballs, and it's going to yeah, look stupid true. and dumb. Um, uh, or, or if they tried to do it the way it's described in the book, which is an American Idol style singing competition, <laughs> that will also look stupid and dumb. I, I just think, I think there's a, there's parts of that Baron Luthen story that can make a beautiful, beautiful, yeah, um, yeah. film. Um, I think there's parts of it that just where this, there are elements that I enjoy in book form that would not do well on right. screen that I would hope they would either and remove I also agree with you. I or try not to do. You- TV series would be the best because I think there's a lot of villain you'd have to do. There's a lot of yes. backstory. Even if you just did Baron and Luthien, there's still yeah. a lot of backstory you'd have to bring in. Yeah. Um, my, con- my concern um, my concern with, with the films is that it's the rights would – my concern with Silmarillion is the rights of it would end up in the hands of a person who wouldn't understand – of a, yeah. a people yeah. who don't really understand the story or right. a studio that would say, okay, let's make us a, a Silmarillion film. And I would hope <laughs> that there would be somebody around who would say – um, like that's like saying, let's make us a Greek myth story, <laughs> you know, like if you're talking about taking like a component of it, a Baron and Luthien story or a, um, um, you know, one of the battles or, uh, the story of Turin or something like that, you could actually have a film right. or, or, or a mini series or something a story like that. Of the Silmarils themselves all the way through from Valinor to Thingol, yeah. you know, uh, biting, you know, buying the farm. Um, oh, yeah, but, I, but even that, I mean, th- that covers like thousands of years, essentially. It's just how would you put squeeze that into a two-hour film oh, where you would act? I mean, it'd have to be a TV. Where show. you'd actually I mean, have you'd actually have characters that you could follow and character arcs and development. I mean, yeah, you'd have to do like a miniseries of two-hour episodes per episode yeah. over a several-year period. Yeah, <laughs> I, I think I would prefer. I think I would prefer they take discrete chunks like a Baron and Luthien. Yeah, yeah. I, I just – I personally think it's going to be a disaster. Like I don't think it will do well. Yeah, I think it's, I think it'd be hard any way you do it really. Yeah. I mean even Baron and Luthien, there's a lot of – there's a lot of stuff you have to already know. Yes. Unless they take the Silmaril out entirely. You know, Do you take Huon in? Do you keep him in or do you take him out? I mean yes. it's just – there's so – these chunk these important parts of the story. I mean you – I don't know. Yeah. It, 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 I I just I think it would be you would you, if you were to do that and do it as a movie and maybe even do it as a TV show. Ultimately, what you're going to get is either something that something that's true to the story that will be a huge right. commercial failure, right. or something that you know like that 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 what you're going to get is a bunch of moviegoers showing up expecting more Lord of the Rings. Um, well, see, and that's what I don't understand when I see – because I know you mentioned this in the last one where we're seeing more and more. In fact, just today I saw – I think it was when I got a thing from the OneRing.net, you know, somebody wrote an open letter asking Peter Jackson to do a movie on the Silmarillion. I mean this has been coming up. You know, people at Comic-Con asked him the question. Yes. Have these people really thought about what they're asking? <laughs> 
I mean, have they really thought how would you do a movie of the similar? No, I it's mean, been a long time. It's apparently been a long time since they've actually read the book, I guess. and they've given it very little thought. Or, or they're, or maybe they're. Or they just, haven't read it at all. I yeah, guess. or they haven't read it at all. Yeah, or they're just being pithy and they're saying Silmarillion, but really they have some specific scene in mind. But I mean, I just don't see. Yeah, I and I, it. it's and I. Had a hard enough time writing the book itself. You yeah. Know? scenes and you're either you're either going to get you're either going to get something that will be a huge commercial failure because the your most yeah. the vast majority of fans out there are going to go watch it and they're going to be like what the heck is this right um right. there's no hobbits i don't know what's going on um Gandalf's not in it <laughs> yeah and it's just it's not a simple storyline it's more like watching it's more like if people like greek myths maybe they would like yes, but right. but look how many times they've turned it greek is. myths into movies and they've been disasters, disasters. so i think it would it would be a, either something that would be very true to the way the the way re, the experience of reading it is, and then it's going to be a disaster. It's going to be a, a huge failure, and we won't get any more. Right. Which actually, I think that's what I'd hope for. Right. Well, they'll make one, it'll fail, and then they won't make any more, and they'll leave them alone. Or what you'll get is something that is that is uh, you know basically barely recognizable as the story that that Tolkien wrote. Like you were saying, maybe they'll just they could maybe they could just take the concept of Bar- the Baron and Luthien characters and remove the Silmarill, like maybe or or maybe just alter all of that. Like maybe it'll turn out Baron's father created the Silmarils, and it's a quest to reclaim the treasure his father lost, and all this stuff, and it's just basically barely recognizable as the story that, that that people love from the Silmarillion, in which case maybe it would be a commercial success and and people like us would hate it. Right. Or or you would have people like Corey trying to trying to convince us that, well, it's just a retelling of the story and <laughs> I just I think it's going to be very difficult and fraught and I think it, 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 the the temptation by the studios would be to do some blow out the budget like they've done with Lord of the Rings and The Hobbit uh, but I think the more they got into it the more they would realize that this is actually a huge risk that it's going to be very difficult to do this uh, in a way that that you will please fans and please the average moviegoer so I I would rather just leave it alone for now Leave it alone. Yeah. 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 <laughs> okay. Well, um, actually, we know the answer that you guys posted or that we've talked about in this, but I think we have more to talk about because, you know, fortunately, I'd say in uh, in episode 13, we also looked at that Entertainment Weekly, you know, 10, 10 scene scroll. And we also talked about Christopher Tolkien's um, uh, interview in, in Le Monde. Mm-hmm. Um, the reactions that we've gotten, I think, from from readers. Uh, it, can I go on with the comments? I know we haven't really. Uh, this is kind of a moot issue in terms of talking about the analyst answers for this question, right? <laughs> in terms of the, you know, having the analyst answer the question. I mean, it's we we all already know the answer to this question, right? Um, yes. So it's not okay. particularly interesting. And we actually, okay. we didn't, we didn't get any votes from any of our analysts. We, we had Father yes. Roderick answer. Uh, he a. filled it in the other day. It's like, well, yeah, <laughs> thanks a lot, Father Roderick. Fairly counts. Silly. I'm probably, too smart. <laughs> we should, we're, we should talk offline about what to do with this on the grid. I think I might remove it. Um, That's cause, not a bad idea. Cause it's going to stay it. blank. And, it's but, but you, you, me and Corey were all wrong. We're all wrong. So, right? um, so right. this question, this question kind of goes out the door. I think we'll, yeah. we can keep the conundrum. 
Uh, let me let's talk about so some of the reactions that we've got. Yeah, let's because that that's about. more interesting. <laughs> yeah, this is more interesting, I think. And and actually, I think there's some good stuff here. And I actually have a uh, a response that I would like to make and and, and get your response. Sure. So I'm going to read. I may sound snarky when I read this, only because I'm trying to get the right tone of voice from the folks that, that wrote this stuff. But I want to uh, start off with our critics. So Tony Mead. Uh, who's been wonderful. He's always been a commenter. He says, I normally love the show, but this time I got about 15 minutes into it and finally said, guys, can we stop with the snark already? Look, I'm as big a Tolkien literature nerd as anybody, but I also love the Peter Jackson movies and I wouldn't have become a Tolkien fan without them. I'm sure this is true of many people. I'm really excited about these films and I want to enjoy them. And from what I've seen, Jackson and company have done a pretty good job so far. It almost seems as though you guys have reached a point of wanting them to suck so that you can prove how much more you know about Tolkien than the filmmakers. Can we at least wait until the films come out before we go, go into how they got everything wrong? My my off-the-cuff response is, oh, we can't do that because that's what we're here for. But <laughs> That's right. Um, by the way, Tony also, and, and you can see this up on the uh, the MythGuard site under this episode, he, he gave us a uh, URL of the Luke Skywalker photo that we had asked about, you know, that there was the one picture in the EW uh, scroll that we were thinking uh, that Bilbo looked like a, you know, like a same pose of Luke Skywalker with his, with his lightsaber. So he gave us that. Kurt says, your, antici- your anticipated discontent with the movie based on a, look for, on a look on Martin Freeman's face in a composite promotional image is more than a bit ludicrous. For that matter, expecting the movie to match the books beat by beat, line by line is ludicrous. It's a nice bonus when they get minute details right, but I could care less if they omit the pickles from Bilbo's table. The movies are the movies, the books are the books, and Peter Jackson earned a massive reserve of trust based on his handling of the first three movies. While the particulars might vary slightly from the book, I don't see any reason to doubt that he'll hit the spirit of the thing dead on yet again. Even if he's adding in dwarves, elven, dwarf, dwarven elven romances and ringwrath tombs, which you're unnecessarily dismissive of just on principle, I'd be surprised if it's not handled with a deft touch. We kind of just talked about that, you and I, a little bit in terms of our our, our go. But let me go with Dr. Bombay. I have to say I agree with Tony Mead. I have never yelled at one of your podcasts more than I did at this most recent one. It really does seem like you three are all descending into cynicism and petty snark and are looking for things to complain about just for the sake of complaining. I mean the lettuce on the table, Bilbo's perfectly hobbitish attire, and the size of the carriage in an artist's painted representation of scenes from a cinematic interpretation that isn't even out yet? Really? Please step back from the edge of madness. Accusing Gandalf of tagging Bilbo's door is just outrageous. You did that. You did that. So those are our three biggies. Now, I want to go – I want to jump forward, and then I'd like to hear what you have to say, Dave. So the snark, the main thing that we're being accused of, I think, in the snarginess is is, is when we were talking about the um, the um, Entertainment Weekly scroll, the scroll that was up – the 10-scene scroll. And I have two responses to that. First of all, that thing is a marketing piece, and I have a lot of cynicism when it comes to marketers because I am one myself. So it's ludicrous how – for. For example, how Keeley is so noticeable in every scene that he's in, in on that scroll, and it's in, and it's just insulting to my intelligence. That that alone is insulting to my intelligence. So my snarkiness, if I had any, with regard to that screen, a lot of it came from the fact that this was is a promotional piece. It just was like, oh, come on. You know, it, it just for me wasn't uh, – we don't even necessarily know that the scenes are even in the movie. Uh, but I didn't like it from that standpoint. So um, – oh, by the way, one of the things that I also wanted to point out that I missed while we were on the episode, and I'm going to point it out now, is that if we're to take the first scene as it's drawn, Gandalf is left-handed. <laughs> 
because his sword, where his sword is, his sword is on his right side. Yeah, that's true. So, so Gandalf would have to be left handed. Left-handed. Yeah. Um, but the second point that I want to make, and this really, it does matter to me if there are pickles on the table. And the reason that it matters to me if there are pickles on the table is that Tolkien was intensively detailed oriented. And if we want Jackson, if Jackson is as big a Tolkien fan as he says he is and, and Boyens, and they are going to, you know, they're, they're wanting to pay an homage to Tolkien, then damn it, get the details right. Tolkien himself was detail oriented. The other reason why I think it's important is because much is made of how detail oriented Jackson and his crew are. We have extra footage and, and, and special extra deals on the Lord of the Rings uh, extended editions about the sword makers and the mail makers and the choreographers of the fight scenes and how, you know, and, and also the, the, the costume makers and all the detail. Well, if there's going to be that much detail put into the swords and into the, you know, into the costumes, why can't they put detail into the movie that's actually in the book? You don't have to do a lot of work. You go look at the book. You read that there are pickles on the table. Put pickles on the table. I mean, I don't see why that's too much to ask. You know, I don't see why we should be considered snarky because we had a problem with the G rune on the door. I mean, if he's going to be so detailed oriented in other areas, why not be detailed oriented in this, in this area as well? Okay. That's my rant. Um, I guess I, I, all I really would say is, uh, <laughs> is, uh, you know, do people I like, what, what do you, what do, what do people expect us to do? <laughs> <laughs> This is the, the, isn't that the point of these kinds of podcasts when you're when you're doing a uh, when you're doing a fan podcast uh, about uh, about a book series that you love that's being turned into film and what you're doing is analyze over analyzing every little piece of of um, of propaganda or evidence or leaked footage or whatever that comes out um, um, with a with a scrutinizing you know and scrutinizing and all that what do they expect us to do um, and and the you know the thing I would just add is the thing I would just add is um, and and that's our personality so I I yeah. you know I apologize if we were a little too snarky for these people but. I, you know, like I do the kind of podcasts that I think I would enjoy listening to. And, and I'll be honest with you, when I listen to podcasts that are fanboys, that are like, like, you know, not, nothing against the people who do some of the Harry Potter ones. But the things that drive me nuts when I listen to those is when they're pouring over the Warner Brothers, like marketing stuff and being like, oh, it's so great. I can't wait. Everything's perfect. And the movies are yeah. great. And I'm going to go watch them eight times and give them all of my money. It's like that drives me bonkers because it's like, come on. Like, like have a discerning eye, you know. Don't be a fanboy that just takes whatever is given, just spoon fed to you. Here, have here. Here's some um, piece of marketing that we just had some artist that hasn't even read the book draw up, um, and we're gonna put it out there and expect the fans to go nuts because they get excited about everything they give us. Then, then you you're like a freaking drug addict, you know. You're just like sitting there slathering over, waiting for the next um, piece of marketing stuff to put out. So. Uh, it's not really me. That's not my vibe or my personality. <laughs> I'm the sarcastic, cynical guy that looks over stuff and says, eh, not good enough. So, yes, I mean, you know, the, all <clears throat> three of us, you know, I, I don't think it, you know, was it uh, Tony said something about the three that we wanted to prove that we know more about the books and filmmakers. I don't think that's the case, but 
but we're we all three are sort of Tolkien scholars from the point of view of Tolkien being a medievalist. Um, that he, you know, the story, uh, The Hobbit, not as much, but definitely The Lord of the Rings was written very much in a medieval, uh, you know, with med- medieval type, type of story structure and stuff. And so there's more depth to this for us than uh, might be, you know, right. for other people. Uh, my feeling about it is just like, you know, I mean, when. Corey was bringing up things on the table. I mean, first of all, it was fun to do. But second of all, it's like, well, why not? I mean, like you said, at least there's a clock on the mantle. You know, I mean, why not be true to what the book says? I mean, that's, you know, that's kind of, it's almost like an, give us some Easter eggs, you know, make sure that it's all the same stuff. And it it very well might be for all I know. But I mean, yeah, things like the smug look on Bilbo's face. I mean, it's just for us knowing that scene, it's kind of, you know, doesn't really match. So why would we not bring that up? Yeah, I, I I don't know. Um, it is kind of perplexing when they when they get certain little bizarre details right, like the clock, and then they yeah, do other things wrong. It's like I don't know what we're choosing. <laughs> as far as proving we know more than the filmmakers, I don't think we're trying to do that. No, that I don't think it's necessary. We know more than they do, of course. <laughs> no, we don't need to prove it. And certainly we know more than whoever drew this picture because, you know, like I said, this is probably just some studio artist. And yeah, I'm like, definitely not left-handed. I mean, come but, on, I mean, again, at the end of the day, like, we're just – What else do you want us to talk about? Unfortunately, somehow you've ended up listening to a series of podcasts that are produced by a bunch of people who are all fairly sarcastic and snarky. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> so, so – when when they put out a piece of artwork like this, what do you think you're going to get? Do you think you're going to get us um, fawning over how gorgeous it is and how excited we are that the studio would deign to to allow us to have something to look at, or do you think you're going to get a bunch of people sitting around making jokes about it and laughing about little things they got wrong? About this scroll, this is not Peter Jackson. This scroll. Yeah, this scroll these aren't the filmmakers. This is the the studio. Exactly. Yeah, this is the the, the marketing very, people. I'm very snarky about the marketing right. piece. That you know. Now you know. I'm going to be snarky about the films too. So <laughs> this is this is just this is who we are. We 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 pro- I I do think, and I think in fairness, we were not accusing Peter Jackson of being responsible for that piece of artwork. We said over and over again, this is art. This is stu- you know artwork. This is not actual footage or imagery from the film. Actually, seen. Yeah. Yeah, we said that time and again. We were just you know we were just having fun looking at the picture and joking about but it. We so. were going after it. I will admit, we were going after it. We were going after it on purpose. I mean, you know, like Corey, you know, with the G Runus. I mean, come on, you know, I mean, it was, it was, I had a lot of fun doing it, frankly. <laughs> yeah, well, that's what I'm saying, though. Like, that's the, the, that's what we enjoy. We enjoy kind of, we're, that's our personalities. We're all kind of a little sarcastic and critical, and we like, joking about stuff uh we if we were just sitting around saying boy there's a beautiful picture boy there's a beautiful picture boy there's a beautiful picture isn't that you know we're we're extremely well-read very analytical critical uh thoughtful fans so what are you going to get out of us you're certainly not going to get um unquestioning approval you're going to get you're going to get you're going to get sarcasm and and very very critical analysis so and to a greater or lesser degree we're all three yes. Tolkien scholars, so you know, I mean, mm-hmm. and Corey especially. I mean, he just finished this yes. book. I mean, he's 
you know, he's closer. He's closest yes. to the story. I think he probably could have gotten a lot snarkier, right? Given oh, yeah. how well he knows the story. Uh, and and I, <laughs> I, 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 so I, I apologize. That was one episode. We yeah. will we'll get into that a bit. But you, people, listeners must have noticed. But they've been, you know, listeners, you've been listening to Corey Olson's podcast for like three or four years now. <laughs> if you haven't noticed that this is his dynamic and his vibe by now, you haven't been listening very closely. And <laughs> and you must know by now that this is not a person who dismisses Peter Jackson's work or says that it's yeah. garbage. Corey gives a very, very passionate defense of 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 the endeavor of making the films. And and he doesn't hate Peter Jackson or the films, and he can watch them, enjoy them even more so than probably I can. Uh, but that's probably better than a whole lot of Tolkien scholars. Yeah, can. but that doesn't stop him from at the same time when when a particular scene just doesn't work or seems like a disaster, it doesn't change stop him from saying that was right. a disaster. You know, like now, I will say that you must there were know by commenters now. Commenters that disagreed. I mean, there were other commenters that came on and said, you know, that they they agreed with us. But I, I wanted to specifically well, that, that's because let they're, those that criticize us know that we're not going to turn away yeah. from your, you know, that's gonna... because that's because they're like us. Those the the listeners <laughs> who disagreed. That's because they they because they like me. They're the kind of people that when they're thinking about what kind of podcast they want to listen uh, to, they want to listen to a sarcastic, snarky, critical one, not the <laughs> not the like. Not the like, boy, you know, isn't it great that, uh, you know, they're the people who in the back of their minds realize this is all ultimately, this is all about Warner Brothers trying to make as much money off of us as they can and to exploit our favorite um, piece of artwork. So the uh, the we we offer catharsis for those purists. That's right. That's right. We're a place for the, you know, like, like, I mean, again, I, and I don't mean I'm not trying to criticize anyone, but but there are definitely places you can go on the on the web various kinds of websites and fan sites and other places wondering.net middle earth network etc where you can go and you can read people you know doing the kind of just excited no end to their enthusiasm like oh goody a new a new production video came out oh goody some new artwork came out and all it is is just excitement about it you know you can go and you can hear that don't that's you're not going to find that here what you're going to find is hey look there's a new um there's a new look new piece of uh new image out let's uh let's tear it down to to the <laughs> finest little detail and uh and analyze every little bit basically we're sorrowmen we're taking light and breaking it to see what it's made of <laughs> Glory of many colors. Yes, that's right. In seriousness, <laughs> though, I hope people if if people find that episode in, episode out, they're having this reaction that we're just too yeah. snarky and critical and sarcastic, and it and it detracts from their enjoyment. Please, we would like to know about that because we still want you to enjoy it. However, we also have to be ourselves, and ourselves are a little sarcastic. Yeah, yeah, so. and 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 try try to if if we are if it is bothering you, check to see. Who are we actually leveling that snarkiness at? Yes. Um, you know, in this case, it was definitely the studio and not Jackson. I mean, yeah. Come on. Yeah. Surely we can all agree that we all, surely we're all suspicious of big, big entertainment. And, uh, right. Stuff, so, right. And even so, if we yeah, were, even Jackson's if we were, support. even if we we're leveraging it at Jackson, I just, I think as long as we're not just being, um, personally mean. And pejorative toward him as a person, and as long as we're not crossing a line and making your your listening experience unenjoyable, then then I'm sure people can tolerate a little bit of our sarcasm yeah, and joking. Whoever yelled at the podcast actually felt better after. I know Tony said he felt better after he ranted. So yeah, well, you know, hey, that's good. And 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 if and if if all you need to do is come on the comments and type some rants. 
Um, uh, and then you'll feel better and you'll keep listening. That's Great. That's what we want. You don't see right. that what we've done is tricked you into giving us more <laughs> interacting with Yeah. Us. Don't you realize this is a, like a, a common, this is a common strategy of podcasts <laughs> and blogs and websites and media in general out there provoke you into yes. engaging us. There you go. There you go. So and it worked. We're manipulating Actually, that, you. It has worked. You know, I, like I said, I think I said last episode, we've had lots of really good comments right. on Right, yes. If we, say, if we say all stuff you agree with, you won't bother commenting. That's but if we say things that, you, that infuriate you, you'll come on and type big, long, eloquent essays on our comments. Right. And that's what and we you want. you guys talk with each other, which is good. <laughs> Yeah. And you know, there's a lot of actually, you know, we've got the MythCard site which we look at, but there's also a lot going on at the Token Professor Facebook page too on this stuff. So, yeah, um, yeah. Well, well, let me move on to Brent Sprinkle because I really love this one. There's a, I, a particular line in here that I just think is wonderful. Um, cool. He he's actually talking about the the interview with Christopher Tolkien that we talked about okay. um, on the episode, and he said when I first read the interview myself, one of my first thoughts was, I wonder what Corey would say to for this, would say to this. It kind of put me in a tough situation and it made me feel that participating in Lord of the Rings fan-based things and watching the movies, I was somehow doing a disservice to the Tolkien family. I don't want that. I have the utmost respect for Tolkien's love of the simple life and good plain food and want to give his family respect because without them, there would be no Lord of the Rings. But on the other hand, I was introduced to Tolkien by Peter Jackson's movies, and my life hasn't been the same since. My response to the movies were, of course, first purely, this is an awesome action movie, but it led me to the books, languages, cultures, and Tolkien's life where I found something deeper and more enriching, and I love this line. The movies allowed me to find a hobby that I can indulge in without, with the security of knowing I won't be dumber for it. <laughs> Interesting. Um, he says, as for the question, the possibility of more Hobbit material seems to be overdoing it. I mean, I would be okay with a third movie as long as the reason for it would be to do the story more justice on screen and not for a money-making motivation. I can't ignore... I can't ignore when I first heard this that my first reaction was one of excitement. And actually, I would like to say here that I, and I've said this on, I've gone on record with this, and I know other people have as well. I honestly do believe that Jackson's vision from the very get-go was three films. I really do, and I think that's why he ended up filming as much as he did. I know, I remember in one of the, uh, one of the video blogs that he did, they, they commented, our circus commented, that it was day number, whatever it was, you know, and they had done more, you know, they had more footage of film or whatever how much film they had than they did on like after filming two ver two movies in lord of the rings well i think from the beginning jackson was filming for three films and i think what he had to do was wait until the psychological moment to pitch the studio for three films and i think that psychological moment was after comic con yeah um, I know how long, as a marketer, I know how long it takes to get a press release approved, you know, like the press release that he put out about the third film. And mm -hmm. I think given the timing of when the press release came out, I think he pitched the studio almost like right after Comic-Con. And they had to go through all the red tape of getting the press release approved. So I I think that, that Jackson always had three films on his mind, and I think Jackson had three films on his mind in order to do the story justice. I don't think it's a money grab on Jackson's part. I really don't. Um, but I think he understood that the studio was going to have to see it as a, a right. potentially you know, lucrative thing. So that's what I think. Well, so I mean, I, don't think I think, I think I don't it's. Think I think his extra filming isn't necessarily going to be to add add footage for the three films. I think it's just going to be going back to plug things, much the way he did for Lord of the Rings. Right. Yeah. I I think it's I think it's entirely consistent to on the one hand believe believe the best of Peter Jackson that he uh, that he intended to do this from the beginning and he's not just making a money grab. 
uh, and also, but, but, and also just assume that the studio is looking at this as a money grab. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, uh, Wait, and, and, and that he had to, he had to play the studio the way he did because of that. Right. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm sort of, I think I'm in the middle ground. Like, um, you know, I, I, I'm sort of, uh, reluctant to believe that, that Peter Jackson is this master puppet master dude who, like, two years ago or whatever, when he started, um, uh, when he started, uh, um, uh, filming all these films that, uh, he, um, that he set out from the very beginning to do it the way that he's doing it now. And that, but, and, and, and when the, um, uh, the studio said, well, I don't know if we can do three films, we'll just do two. And, and he said, okay, I'll, I'll agree to do two, but I'll know in the back of my mind, we're actually going to do three and I'll trick them and all this. Like, I don't, I don't, well, I don't know. I just think it was his intention. I mean, yeah, I, think I, I don't know. I, I, I think, I think, I think I wouldn't say intention. I would say sort of hope. That he may yeah. be maintained in the back of his mind, like, you know, if I film, like, there really is the possibility of turning this into three films. That it wouldn't be that hard to do, and that all all it would take is a tweak here, a tweak there. I'm going to have more than enough material to do it, so I'm just going to keep it in the back of my head. Uh, that you know, keep that open in the back of my mind, so that if the opportunity arises to do it, it's not a, a huge right, adjustment. Right, and he went ahead and shot the film. I, actually, I could even see it even more—not necessarily from the very get-go—but I could see he and Philippa and and Fran sitting around the table, you know, writing all this stuff and looking at each other and going. You know, we're writing a lot more than two movies worth here. You know, it's yes. kind of what you and Corey have talked about in the sense you know, that there's there's a lot of material here, and and so I could see this idea of the third movie having come up not necessarily from the very beginning, but somewhere along the writing process, the mm-hmm. three of them looking at each other and saying, you know, to really do that. I mean, we've really got more here than two movies, and he may have just made the decision. Well, let's just go ahead and shoot it and see. You know, let's yep. you know, let's try and see. I mean, that's what I'm thinking. So when I say he had three movies in the back of his mind, from I don't mean like this nefarious, you know, puppet master kind of thing. But I do think ah, okay, that there was like I think the idea of a third movie came up early. In yeah, the that, process that this was this was something that they were actively thinking about yes. as they're working. Yeah. They're like, boy, yeah. you know, we really could I do three, and that they just and it probably as they were working, it yes. probably kept coming up again and I again. Think it did. Especially just, with this extra storyline of the Dol Guldur thing coming up, right? You know that we've talked about them adding in. I mean, I just think they probably did, and I think Peter may, Peter himself may have gone out on a limb and said, "Okay, we're just going to shoot it as if it's three. I'll take responsibility if it ends up not being three, but you know, better to do it and not get the third film than to only shoot for two and not and then have yeah. a third one approved." You know what I mean? It's like yeah. he may have just said, "I'm going to take the executive responsibility for this," and then it's worked out. Uh, I do. Um, I do think that. Um... I do think that it seems unlikely that this is something that he decided recently that no, that, that I, it came yeah. up like in the last like right before Comic-Con or that that it just, you know, that the idea got tossed out in an interview and it was like, right. "Hey, maybe we really ought to do this." Well, or, I, or it was or it was gee, we started to look at what we had and realized, yeah, "No." I mean, I, I think I, it was during the process of filming. I think was, I agree with you that I think in yeah. the process of developing and doing some yeah. post-production and filming yeah. that it, they eventually settle that it, it just kept coming up again and again, "Boy, it yeah. would really be better if we did this as 3 or that we have more than enough exactly. material." And what they started probably started having some some secret negotiations and conversations mm-hmm. with the studio, and ultimately what the thought was, you know, that they were reaching the point where the studio was open to it and really wanted to know. But the the main question was, 
how is this going to play with the um, right. with the fans? Are the fans going to react badly and accuse us of being money grubbers? And so the rumor got planted at yeah. Comic Con. The, the rumor got planted, right. and they they floated it out. They saw how people responded when they saw that overwhelmingly people were like, "Yeah, I'll go watch three right. movies." Right. Then 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 that's when they had the chance to totally. say, "Okay, let's think. do it." That's what I think. And, you know, it's quite possible. I think somebody else said, and I can't remember where this was at. I don't think it was – I can't remember. It wasn't, it wasn't in our thing, but it, I, somebody somebody said that it's very possible that, that Jackson and company may have had like a two-film two track and a three-film three track. You know what I mean? It's like mm-hmm. they may have been kind of doing this sort of dual thing for a while in terms of, uh, you know, if we do two films, it's going to go this direction. So, three. so I, I, to me, that just makes – Sense. I mean, it just makes sense in the sense of you know common sense logic business wise. Yeah, I don't. I don't know um, if he, so anyway, I, I don't I know if they had an explicit plan, but I suspect that probably what they did was just they were like because we're filming it all at once anyway. Right. It really right. doesn't matter, you know. Right. Like it, it wouldn't be that hard. Like we might as well just film it, and we're filming. Right. We're filming three movies worth of material, and we're going to have to cut it down to two right. movies anyway. So yeah. let's just get it filmed, and then when we start putting and, – and furthermore, my, my contention is that this really doesn't affect the first movie at all, except maybe they, maybe they cut out a couple things and add a couple things here. But, but, but that ultimately it had no bearing on how they filmed it or how they, how they um, uh, proceeded to do the post-production on the first um, on the first uh, movie. I think that's probably true. I mean, the only thing that might change in film one is we may get a little bit more of White Council Doll Goldur stuff than we would have otherwise. I, I, or maybe I the actually, other way around. I, I, maybe the I, other way I around, maybe less. The, yeah, I think it'll actually be, I think they'll be able to transition some of the material like a, like a, film two. Yeah. a Doll Goldur yeah, yeah, yeah. battle or whatever will we'll end up in the second film. Right, right. So, but I right. still, I, I still, I think that they probably filmed enough material for three films from the very right. get go, apart right. from maybe. Maybe there's a few things here and there, pickups that that's what they're going to do next year. And yeah. so once they reached the point where they were able to um, to have a serious conversation with the the the, the people, then they could. They, it was very easy to adjust their um, their plan for the the second film to adapt it into to two and three. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, I mean, I agree. I agree. I think you know. I think it's, uh, this is not. This has been a lot. This has been something that's mm-hmm. been in the works for a while. Uh, I think it, you know, didn't come to absolute fruition until Comic Con. But I think that Comic Con for these guys was a major milestone. And yeah. like you said, you know, let's the studio wanted to see how people were going to react, and then they floated the rumor, and you know, everything went good. Now, I, I want to also. I wanted to give Nathan a shout out. Nathan did agree. You know, he he did. You know, log his disagreement with the people that criticized, and I appreciate that. Um, Chris Stevens um, brought up the thing about uh, Christopher's position, and he complimented Corey on you know what what he said about it, um, uh, and also said like I agree too that Brent, I'm very pleased to know that you came to the books via the movie. You know, which yes. is what Corey's statement was that he, you know that Christopher's kind of missing that aspect of the fact that yes. a whole other piece of the population has come to Tolkien that wouldn't have otherwise. Yeah. Yes. If it hadn't been for these movies, and I think that's a point yeah. worth underlining. I, I I personally I disagree with with Christopher Tolkien. Um, mm-hmm. um, uh, well, no, okay, I don't disagree with him. I disagree with the the broad strokes right. with which he painted that he right. basically dismisses the whole enterprise as a right. um, as, as as you know completely bankrupt, and that there's been no good benefits, right. and that there's right. no legitimate artwork, or that it's 
degraded the 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 value Take it of the value to, to nothing. I said, think right? I think for the vast majority of people, um, I think for the vast majority of people who have read the books and watched the movies or done them done it in the opposite order, that is not the case. No. Those people they may well love the films, but they certainly also appreciate the books, and they and I think for many of them they appreciate the books the, the way they ought to, not right. as a great That's... novelization of the right. story that they enjoy in the film, but rather they appreciate it for the very things that Christopher Tolkien thinks they ought to appreciate it. Right. Exactly. I think for the people out there who experience this story only through the movie, um, you know that 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 one could make the argument that they're they're that they're not enjoying the real heart and soul of the Lord of the Rings films, but at the same time, they weren't going to be enjoying it to begin with because they probably wouldn't have picked up the books. Right. I, I guess, right. I guess it's possible that there might be, unless a, it was in comic book form, there might be like a, <laughs> there might be a like class of people out there who decided that they don't need to read the book now that they've watched the film, but they know what they need to know from the movie. Yeah. You know? But, but who might've picked up the books and read them if they hadn't seen the film. But, that's a pretty small number. Most yeah, small number, yeah. most people you know, most people who intended to read these books have have read them either before they saw the film or after they saw the well, film. Well, I gotta tell you, you know, now that I'm thinking about it, I'm actually on this podcast with you because of Peter Jackson's movies. Reason being, you know, I had been a Tolkien fan. I mean, I've been a Tolkien fan for years and years and years and years, but I hadn't realized that there was a population of you know kindred spirits out. there until the movies came out and then i kind of got like well gosh you know there's got to be other people out there like me and i did a google search and tripped over Corey olson and the rest is history so in one respect i'm here because of the movies myself mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. yep um you know and and i mean i have a whole different you know my life's taken a different turn in the sense of getting the master's degree and stuff so that's you know that's really interesting i, I you know with christopher I, it's not i it's not so much i d- agree or disagree and you know again i'll go back to that the paper that i wrote last semester about disney and tolkien i mean i think i see a lot of of tolkien's uh disrespect of disney in christopher's words as well um you know that that tolkien was uh, i think i think pretty outspoken even though i believe that a lot of what he said has not seen the light of day for, for understandable reasons that the family wouldn't necessarily want to have his words be published um he and lewis were both very um disdainful of disney and considered him extremely vulgar and part of it was you know i think what disney was doing to fairy tales it wasn't just snow white it was you know beauty and the, uh, not beauty and beauty, uh, Sleeping beauty and cinderella which at that time were the two other martian stories you know that he he had taken on and so i see a lot of that too so i think this i think this distrust and this this turning his head away has a, has a legacy in it <laughs> you know from from his own father's view of Disney in, in, mm-hmm. as well, who was kind of the Jackson slash Spielberg slash Lucas of his mm-hmm. day. I'm really just sad. And, you know, that's where I get to is I'm just sad. I think it's sad that Christopher feels this way because he is missing. And you know, I said it on, on the episode too, you know, that he doesn't realize that his father's ultimate goal in, in a sense is really being realized. This thing is turning into modern day mythology with Jackson retelling it in much the way that myths have been told and retold. Yeah. You know? Yeah, I, I think you're right. I think he is. I think he is missing that. I am. Um, I. 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 I think he is sort of losing out, and that he has an overly cynical, negative view. I think he. Yes. I think it's not Talk about cynical. Jeez. I think it's. I think it's not entirely unfounded because no. I think, just looking at the films themselves, I agree. I, I think that those are 
that those aren't aren't just rampant consumerism. Um, I think that the the you know as you continue down the the sort of the chain of other things that have arose around the film, some of the really awful video games that have been made. Lord of the Rings Online, I would put in a separate class. Lord of the Rings right. Online, I think. I actually think those people deserve more credit than Peter Jackson about trying right. to be really true to the story while also innovating and adding new stuff. Like I, I really think Turbine, like just from – I know really, really hardcore Lord of the Rings Tolkien fans who play those right. games and love them and say that wow. they really add to their experiences. So That's I think awesome. – it sounds like they've done an even superior job to, to Peter Jackson. Now, they have an easier job in a sense, but um, but people seem to speak very well of them. But I think when you look at a lot of the other video, like the the video game that they are releasing attached to the the to the Hobbit game, it was I can't remember what it was, Guardians of Middle Earth or something. That's just like play. Really? That's literally they took a video, they took just a really standard um, no. type of video game and just replaced the character animations with Lord of the Rings characters, yeah. and you're gonna have like Gollum battling Sauron one on one, and oh jeez, I mean. That kind of stuff, he's right. That is just yeah. plain old like exploitation. Well, and also the family or the trust had a huge litigation issue over the royalties from the movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah as yeah, well, yeah. which yeah. I'm sure soured him horribly. Yes, I agree. You know, and, and so, so I think stuff like that, like it, it, there's definitely a there's definitely a line, and it's not a clear cut, well placed line. It's a fuzzy line mm-hmm. between. Um, sort of this idea of of culture and society and people taking the story, owning the story, retelling the story, innovating the story. You know, like like people out there who are I have the background of my laptop is a picture of Smaug, is a painting of Smaug, and it's not. You know, I don't know who made it. It's just something I found on the internet and downloaded it and made it my my background. It's not like a Tolkien approved. Tolkien Estate approved artist or anything like that. It's just somebody produced this artwork because they loved it, and I saw it and I loved it. That's like, I mean, I think that's great. Um, but then on, you know, there's also the other the other end of the, the side where there's people that are that are that are clearly just taking this story and just just churning it out into um, into marketable, sellable, minish, you know, kind of minimum consumerable units that can be sold and packaged and that kind of stuff. So there's definitely there is that going on like he's not wrong it's not like that isn't happening or that any form anybody who takes this story and does something with it and then um uh sells it is legitimate art and people you know well they're retelling the story in their own way no there's some people that are taking it and soullessly packaging it up and selling it but but he seems to indicate that anything other than the book itself uh it, it, you know or or that uh, I think actually where he's wrong is that the consumerism that's grown up around it has destroyed the story. I don't think that's true. I think the story persists and actually has a lot of value. And I think that there are a lot of people who discover the real story through the 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 shallow consumerist stuff. And and to to argue that those people don't appreciate it, I think would probably be wrong and unfair of them. So I, I think he's he's being a little overly cynical. So yeah, yeah, and like but I said, it's not I, hard I do to think that there's a long legacy for that, you know, yeah. in terms of but it's uh, but it's hard to blame him because no, I know you see this I, it, time and again. The thing and, that makes me so sad is you know he's he's what's caught what it has done is it's created a barrier between him 
and those of us in the community. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, he he views us all as part of that. I mean, he, right, he exactly. might. You could one could argue that we're we're doing we're engaging in the very behavior that exactly. he hates by making this I mean, podcast. If, if anybody had told him, yeah, this podcast exists, it would just you know, you would just, just yeah, it would probably upset him. Yeah, yeah exactly. but but you know, I mean, that it's not hard to blame him. That that does happen. Like those. Um, those Clash of the Titans films that came out, which are oh, mo- yes. which are retelling of the Perseus story, god awful. I mean, just <laughs> utterly, um, utterly empty of any kind of meaningful story, or right. And, right. and so far removed. And if that's from the where you go stories. to get your mythology from, if that's where you go to get the Perseus story, yeah, from, I feel imagine. bad for you. Oh my god! Right? Yeah. Yes. So, so yeah. it's not like it doesn't happen, and and it's not like Lord of the Rings is the only place where it happens. So. Yeah. So well, uh, let me move on here because I want to give a shout out to Shay Horan. Horan, I think is his last name, Shane. Shay, <clears throat> um, 15 years old and an avid listener and first time commenter. So yes. I just wanted to give a shout out and say, I'm so thrilled you did. Um, the one thing that you did mention here, uh, besides being excited about the announcement of the third film, was where do you think the split will be and how long do you think each film will be? I I don't you know what we just talked about we think the first film will probably be where we think it was always going to be right with yep. the dwarves and the, and the barrels um, yep. I'm thinking that the films I can't imagine I think they're all going to edge up onto the three hour time frame don't you think no I actually think no. they're going to be shorter now huh? you think two, two I, I think what we were I, I'm sort of going off of the Peter Jackson's mostly going to use the footage he's already filmed and um, uh, and he's not going to film too much extra. I'm thinking what we were looking at originally was two three-hour films, you know, with with maybe half an hour, forty-five minutes of content cut out, and what that will turn into is three, maybe two to two and a half hour films. Oh, okay. I think they're actually going to be shorter I guess now. This is just my wishful thinking. If you're going to do it, do it. Or, or <laughs> okay, the extended edition may end up with three three hour films. Or, or it's possible. It's possible what we might end up with is, um, I what I could imagine is the first film might be a little bit longer, right. Since it's kind of since it, it's I think it's the one where they're going to be cutting the the you know um um uh, expanding the least. So maybe. If they just leave that kind of the way it was going to be when it was two films, it might be a longer, and then the next couple will be a couple will be a little bit shorter. But you you may recall like the Harry Potter films got sh- kind of shorter and shorter as time went, That's and that true. the did, and the yeah. the last two films, the seventh films, um, were among the shortest. I I, I personally think they're not going to be like I, it's hard to imagine in order to have three nine hour films. The guy had – or three three-hour films, three I'm sorry. Films. <laughs> three three-hour films. He had to have recorded almost nine hours of footage. I just don't – like if he was – if he was originally making two films, that means he was cutting over half of the footage he recorded yeah, was going to be cut out. That's a good point. So you're thinking uh, a longer first film and then two kind of standard-sized – No, I, I – ultimately, I, I actually really think – what I like, what I imagine is the first film will end where we thought it would end, but that uh-huh. some of the White Council content will get. Shifted. Oh, got it, got it. Will get shoot. Yeah. And okay. so I personally, I'm predicting three films each under two and a half hours oh, okay. between okay. between two fifteen to two thirty. Yeah, that and makes that, sense. Whereas previously, what we were going to get was two three hour films. Right. So, right. Right. So right. we're we're going to get an extra. We you take it, it, you take the six hours of content that that um, would have gone into the original two films, you split it across three, so they're each two hours, and then maybe you have an extra 15 minutes to a, to a half an hour content for each of them. Right, right, So right. I actually, I think they'll be shorter. Yeah, no, that makes sense. That makes sense. As far as sense. where they'll be split, I I 
I am uh, completely persuaded by Father Roderick's um, uh, predictions from our from the most recent Secrets of the Hobbit episode. Uh, first film will end where we thought it was going to end, Lake Town. Um, I think some of the White Council storyline will get shifted, and I think the the second film is going to be parallel storylines, very similar to the way Two Towers worked. In Two Towers, what you got was going back and forth between. Aragorn, Gimli, right. and Legolas in, uh, battling um, uh, Saruman, essentially, and ending with the climactic uh, battle uh, at um, of the Hornburg, despite the mm-hmm. fact that in the mm-hmm. film they called it Helm's Deep, mm-hmm. and and then also you got this the, the slightly less dramatic storyline of Frodo and uh, Sam mm-hmm. and Gollum, mm-hmm. and 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 some glimpses of Pippin and Merry and whatever. Um, I think here which we'll get is we will get the focus will be and the action will be in the White Council storyline and that the, mm-hmm. the second film will end with the Battle of Dol Guldur. Mm-hmm. Um, and the parallel storyline will be the dwarves and Bilbo going from Lake Town to the Lonely Mountain. and Bilbo uh, having his conversations with Bilbo Smog. Bilbo will have his conversation with Smaug and that um, uh, the very the last scene of the film will be Smaug – Departing Lonely Mountain, and what we'll get right. is this cliffhanger of him flying toward Lake Town to right, destroy right, it. Right. Yeah. And then the last film will be the last film. Interestingly, will start with, with Smaug the, getting killed, with the death of Smaug, and right. then and then roll into the Battle of Five Armies. Right, 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 right. I, Actually, that makes sense, especially and also given the names that they've registered, which I don't want to go too far into that because yeah. those could change at any moment. But given the two names they've registered, Desolation of Smog is the second one, and and Battle of Five Armies is the third one. That also kind of makes sense. Yes, yeah. Ever, ever since Father Roderick, I was kind of originally thinking we wouldn't see Smog until the third film, but ever since Father Roderick proposed this idea, my mind has latched onto it. And when I uh, when I mentioned it on on Twitter, Corey also was like, "Brilliant." Yeah. Father Roderick's yeah, yeah, done yeah, it yeah. again. Yep, he's done it again. I also think when I was listening to you guys on Secrets of the Hobbits, I was thinking that you know next year's Comic Con, Smaug is going to have to be the big, uh, you know, the big character in their booth. This year it was the trolls. Next year it'll be the dragon. Yes. <laughs> I don't know what they'll do for the third year, but we'll I, we shall see. We have oh that that was the other thing by the way. I, you, I think you said this too, but uh, one of the things that I was telling folks that were asking me, I said, well, hey, this means Realism in the Dark is going to go on for an extra year. <laughs> yep. We get three years of the podcast. Yay! Oh, yeah. I, that, that is one thing. That All of us, like, fan site, fan whatever people right, are, like, right. all yeah, – after the uh, moment – after the initial shock and some of the <laughs> and some of the sort of understandable fan reactions of, like – Oh my God, that's going to be a disaster. How are they going to do that? This is total mistake at this point in the game. You know, like they're going to end up, the last two films are going to suck. And then, and then the suspicion, you know, the, oh, the studio is just trying to grub for money, blah, 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 blah. Uh, followed by kind of, um, acceptance of like, hey, you know, actually probably Peter Jackson was playing this all along or, or, or at least sort of, Right. Kept this option open, and this doesn't—he doesn't have to pivot that much. He can totally pull it off. To holy crap, we get an extra year to uh, to to be excited and to like engage the fans and right. be involved right. in this right. fandom and because, save up money. I and mean, somebody else said that gives me extra year to save up money to go to New Zealand. I know exactly. Now, <laughs> now what I'm thinking is instead of instead of like scrambling to try and put together the resources to go next year, the fall of 2012. We have an extra year. Yeah. yeah. Now I have an extra year, and furthermore, it sounds like the, the and it's the, the summer. It's coming out in summer. Uh, it's coming out in summer of 2014. So it'll be their winter. Which so it'll be I their winter. 
but it will be for me anyway, since I'll be in school, it'll be much easier for me to get there. That's right. Mm -hmm. That's right. (laughs) Well, good. Well, let me, um, let me actually wind this up as far as I have one more comment that I wanted to say, and this is uh, from January and, um, she, I'm assuming it's a she, uh, kind of goes back to the uh, scroll again. Um, uh, one thing she was talking about uh, the G rune that she, she was also disappointed if, you know, uh, all there is is a G rune. Um, but her idea was that maybe Gandalf does some other kind of message with his smoke rings. Yeah. You know, kind of like that. a bat signal <laughs> over bag end. Yeah. I'm not buying it. <laughs> it's kind it's of a cute, interesting idea. It's a cute idea, but. And then the second idea she said was, um, the scene that we've seen, actually we've seen different versions of this with Elrond Gandalf and Galadriel with the knife. Um, she's thinking that this scene may actually be more indicative rather than talking about the quest, Thorin's quest, that it's actually a prelude to the meeting of the White Council. Oh, specifically, this is the one specifically in the, uh, in the scroll where just the three of them. Um, this, it could be the meeting of the White Council discussing the issue of the Nazgul and the rise of the necromancer. Um, so the knife, uh, uh, you know, they're talking about the knife as it relates to, to Thryon and, and or the Nazgul tombs. So anyway, so I wanted to get that into because I wanted to acknowledge January's entry. Mm-hmm. That's it. That's all people had to say. It was not a real active, you know, we didn't get a lot of response on this episode. Ha 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 ha. Kidding. Yeah. I'm being sarcastic. <laughs> but it's, but it's, not as, it's not as interesting because there's really no controversy over the, the actual riddle itself. No, um, no. The controversy was in our snarkiness. So uh, Yes. So I and I and I would like to to respond with just once more, you know, um, nobody here is trying to one up the filmmakers or be jerks or prove they know more than anyone else. We're just we we're just kind of sarcastic people a little bit and uh, sarcastic people happen to really love this legendary. Uh huh. Yeah. So so we're gonna pick it. Those two things together. <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna pick over the bones. I I, I don't know. I, I presume some of the listeners who listen to this must also listen to the Silmarillion seminar. Uh, you know, like you see the exact same thing there. We're like snarkily making fun. And, oh my and the, god, yeah. And it's not aimed at Peter Jackson no. or Tolkien or anyone. It's aimed at the characters. We're like, characters. boy, Thingle, what a jerk, man. Yeah, really. So Thingle so, bashing. I mean, I yes. I join right in with you guys. Yes. So so it's just it's just our dynamic. Um, you know, <laughs> if if we go over the line, please let us know. But otherwise, just like you know, uh, just enjoy it. Enjoy it. <laughs> at least. At least if you're getting mad at us. Or join not, in. Yeah. If, join if, in. If you're getting mad at us, you're not bored. <laughs> um, we need to do our uh, conundrum. Oh, so what is our conundrum? Going back to the Nazgul, the issue of the Nazgul, ah. uh, and the comment uh, that somebody pointed out was uh, in Quickbeam's description about Saruman's suspicious-looking face. Uh, his suspicious eyes, as uh, um, uh, isn't that what that that Elvis song is? We can't go on together. <laughs> no, it's no. You, it's suspicious lies. I know. <laughs> that's that's lies. my that's one of my commonly misheard. Lyrics. Oh, that's one of the common lies. Like, there's a bathroom on the right. That's mine for yep. the Creedence Clearwater song. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, um, the qu- the conundrum is: is it actually Saruman who releases the Nazgul? Is it actually Saruman who releases the Nazgul? You know, I I know you you probably think this is a straightforward answer. It 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 could be Saruman. I mean, I, um, I don't think it's straightforward. I think it could be. I just don't think it is. You don't think it is? <laughs> yes. I my answer is no. No. Your answer is no. It's, it's an interesting notion. I'm willing to consider it, but eh, I don't think so. 
Yeah, I think I might be in the same boat. I mean, I could see it. I could see Sermon doing it. I could see him having the magic to do it. You know, I mean, I could see him doing it because on one hand, Sauron is weakened. Maybe, you know, he could not ha- maybe he doesn't have enough magic to let them go. So it was just his good fortune that Saruman in his delusion that he could control the Nazgul would do it. Um so I'm, you know, I'm kind of being devil's advocate to my own self there, but I, I actually agree with you. I don't think it is. I think it's the necromancer that that frees them. Yep. Okay. Cool. All right. So you're gonna be where it's. So people, we're gonna be saying goodbye to you shortly, but you still have 20 more minutes of of Father Roderick and Dave to listen to, which I would consider a treat, frankly. Um. So I think you and I are definitely gonna be. Uh, this podcast will definitely break records. Yes. Yep. Yep, we, we're we're constantly pushing the limit, much like the swimmers in the Olympics right now. <laughs> which, which, uh, uh, if you may have already seen it, by the time you hear this, it'll be long gone. But there's an interesting thread on the Tolkien Professor Facebook page going on as we're podcasting today. Yes, where people yes. are trying to get the rings number of rings correct, and, yes. and five rings snuck in there, which you can tell it's Olympics weekend. Yep. <laughs> yep. I love the I, – I, my favorite part was the guy who, who said three rings for the – meant to say three rings for the elven kings, but just all of the typing out of numbers must have must have confused him. Uh, like well, Either uh, that or like somebody else's, it might have been autocorrect. Yeah, or I like, got autocorrected and he to- <laughs> wrote three rings for the eleven kings. It's like, boy, those poor eleven kings must <laughs> have been really fighting. I, I didn't realize I didn't realize that that uh, that Galadriel and Elrond had to fight off like eight other people to get their rings. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that same thing actually was in. Uh, it- Last semester, we were studying uh, Smith and Wooten Major, and the copy of Smith and Wooten Major, the book that we had, uh, actually uh-huh. had that same um, mistake. Oh, There's a really? point where Smith sees this vision of elven kings, and, and it says 11 kings. Oh, 11 my kings God. passed over him. <laughs> oh, God. That's hilarious. And it, apparently, the typo or that mistake in editing persisted for a couple of of publications, you know. So it was funny because we were all comparing notes if we had 11 kings or elven kings. And anyway. That's hilarious. All right. Well, um, so uh, um, we want to thank our analysts and partners on this show. Uh, of course, there's our fearless leader, Corey Olson, the Tolkien Yay. professor. Um, there is Mark Fisher of the Encyclopedia of Arda, American Golden Star of a Casual Stroll to Mordor. Um, uh, their website is casualstrolltomordor.com. Their Twitter is at Stroll to Mordor. Um, they have YouTube, Facebook, Flickr accounts, um, and then also uh, you can listen to them live on Saturdays uh, at, on Middle Earth Radio at, I think, 9.30 p.m. Eastern Time. Uh, and their, their show is really good. They're fantastic podcasts. Father Roderick of SQPN, my partner on the Secrets of the Hobbit And if podcast. you're not listening to Secrets of the Hobbit, you need to be because it's a great Darn show. right. Yes. <laughs> what, what could you possibly – like – how could you possibly listen to enough of my voice? <laughs> Dave Kale, Dave That's Kale, right. World Domination Network. <laughs> <laughs> so our website there is thehobbit.sqpn.com. Twitter is at Hobbit Podcast. We have a Facebook page um, there, and we broadcast live uh, on Thursday mornings at 10 p.m. Eastern Time. Live.sqpn.com. Our one of Middle Earth News, news.middleearth.com, and her Twitter is at Middle Earth News. Lily and O'Loreal of the Warriors of the Westfold podcast. You can listen to them live on Middle Earth Radio uh, at 9 p.m. Eastern Time on Friday nights. The Last Alliance, the University of Alberta Tolkien Society. 
um, John DiBartolo and the Lonely Mountain Band for uh, want to thank him for letting us use their music for our intros and outros. And uh, and of course we want to thank you, our listeners, and all the people who give us feedback because uh, you guys really are the ones who make this show. And uh, and thank you, Trish. It's been fun. Well, you're very welcome. Thank you, Dave. This is like I've told people, it's a boatload of fun. Boatload of fun. Um, I was going to say, you know, somebody mentioned uh, somewhere about me having like an evil laugh, you know, when, when we're on this diet together. And I thought, gosh, get me and Father Roger together because he's got a real infectious chuckle himself. Yes, he does. <laughs> if we ever get together on a podcast, watch out. <laughs> yeah, you won't be able to stop listening. It'll be like drugs. <laughs> or laughing. <clears throat> yes. Yeah, that's true. There'll just be it'll just be laughing. Podcast laughing. laughing. All right. Well, why don't you take us away? Okay. Thanks for listening and Godspeed. Okay, so we're we're going to start trying to get Father Roderick caught up on the on the all the various riddles in the dark questions that are available. Um, and so uh, the one that we really want to do because we haven't actually done covered this on a digest episode yet, so we're, we can slip this audio content into the next digest that we do, is a blast from the past. It's from all the way back in May. After the CinemaCon footage came out, and there was this reference to uh, the Nazgul um, rising from tombs they'd been trapped in and yada, yada, yada. You remember that, right, Father? Yes, absolutely. Yeah, this is like one of the one of the looming controversies. And I think, you know, we're – so we're in we're – in, early August now, uh, having just uh, heard the announcement about the three films. I think this question becomes even more interesting now that we have an entire third film to uh, to play with these characters. So um, uh, so if you recall, what, after after the, the introduction of the Nazgul, um, the big question that arose was how in God's name are they going to fit these guys into the film, uh, you know, and not, not just totally screw everything up because mm-hmm. – the the problem with the Nazgul is is they're unlike Sauron at Dol Guldur they're incredibly mobile or at least the previous versions of them we've seen are mobile who yeah, knows we've how seen them on horses and everything and uh, and their job in the Lord of the Rings is to pursue the ring relentlessly. And so um, it, they have to be very careful with these characters because it's just if they were present at the Battle of Five Armies or if they just encounter Bilbo and the the dwarves at any point in the story, it just it would sort of defy belief yes. in the in the viewers that they wouldn't say, "Gee, I, I think that's the ring. We'd better go get that." <laughs> so, uh, and yet to introduce them in the film and not use them at all also seems kind of unlikely. And so the the question here that we're really interested in is how are they going to use these guys in the film? Okay, um, I have some ideas about that. Good. <laughs> and and I think this is complicated a bit by by the fact that it's entirely possible with the new three film arrangement that maybe they won't even be introduced until the the, the second film. But actually, mm-hmm. I think they probably will be introduced in the first film. So um, the options we came up with were uh, in the in in with this question. The other thing that complicates this, of course, is that there are nine of them, and they are well known to divide and conquer. So uh, in the case of um, the pursuit of the ring in the Shire, uh, like five of them, 
Five of you know, several of them invaded the Shire. Some of them rode around south. I mean, at one point, they, I think they had three different groups of Nazgul riding around um, uh, east of the Shire and between the Shire and Rivendell to try and trap um, Ar- Aragorn and the the hobbits. So. Mm-hmm. We realize here that when we're coming up with a question that says, what are they going to be doing, that they could be doing multiple things. So that's why what the question is, what will the main role of the Nazgul and the Hobbit films be? Maybe they'll divide up and do different things, but what will their main focus be? And the options are, A, they're headed to Mordor, preparing for Sauron's relocation to his old stomping grounds. This is the true-to-the-book answer. Um, uh, the, the, the Nazgul are alive well alive they are in existence uh during the time of the hobbit books they're not trapped in tombs like they appear to be in the film they're, they aren't released from tombs they've they were never trapped in tombs but at the time of the hobbit book what they're doing is they're in mordor um uh preparing uh like it menace it like uh in menace morgul and um and just mordor in general sort of essentially preparing the way from for sauron so a is the true the book answer B is they are focused on Erebor, um, aiding Smaug, maybe pursuing the company, maybe they're involved in the Battle of Five Armies. C is they're focused on Dol Guldor, um, they're opposing the White Council, they're preparing for an offensive in South Mirkwood. And then D is they're seeking for the ring, so maybe they're dredging the river near Gladden Fields, um, maybe they're investigating rumors of the heirs of Isildur, uh, that kind of stuff. Right. So. Those are the answers we came up with. We, we, you are you are well known as the guy who continually comes up with new answers that we didn't think of, so we wouldn't be surprised <laughs> if you have one. But um, so. you know, the the, the Nazgul, of course. Um, I, I, I'm I'm thinking they need to be associated with Sauron. Um, yes. a, a, aka the the necromancer, um, mm-hmm. because that's that's what we we know from the Lord of the Rings. That's kind of their natural habitat, um, and at the same time, you you do want to show them perhaps in a little bit more um, kind of an ambiguous ambiguous way, or you might want to give them some backstory where it's not just oh when we see the necromancer, he's surrounded by the Nazgul, and they do exactly they're basically his lackeys, and whatever the necromancer says, they do. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm very much, um, uh, tempted to, to go with the last option that they will, we will see them looking for the ring. Um, but that would not be enough. That would only be, you know, it's just a glimpse and, and what, what can you show? You can just, you know, perhaps do a little bit of dialogue between the necromancer and the Nazgul and then you go look for the ring <laughs> and then we'll, we'll see them in this, a few places and that's it. I don't think that's interesting enough. Um, I think the audience will be curious about you know we've seen these Nazgul. Um, we kind of know, but not it's not really communicated by the movies very in a very specific way. The existing ones that they are actually you know the Nazgul used to be humans and that sold the rings that did this. Um, so what if? We get to see where they come from, and and the whole tomb thing might be a way to do to show that that the the to show the link between the Nazgul and their you know their previous bodies. Mm-hmm. So when 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 Frodo slips on the ring, he sees these Nazgul for what they really are. They have these crowns on. You know, you see these skeleton-like, very creepy people. 
Yeah. What if we see these skeletons for real just, you know, lying in their tombs? And 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 that will be the way in and I don't know if they sometimes revisit their old bodies or just kind of <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. But the, to me, it sounds logical story wise that you show a, much more a kind of the connection between these Nazgul and and then these bodies, and it will make sense when we see them in the Lord of the Rings in the vision of Frodo when he puts on the ring. That's, oh, we've seen these guys. You know, they were like lying there in their tombs. Um, so I don't really think that that is a that is a problem. I, now I I read one hint somewhere on a on a forum um, about uh, 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 it's a quote. I'm not sure if this is from Tolkien. It's on on a Witch King of Angmar Wikipedia entry, and it mm-hmm. says when Sauron was defeated by the Alliance, the nine Nazgul went into the shadows. Mm-hmm. Yep. I don't know. I mean, that that's very vague, but it it could. I don't know. I don't know if the 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 if this is from Tolkien, it could give a little bit of 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 space for for uh, for Peter Jackson to come up with these tombs. Mm-hmm. But so so my guess is that we will. But do we know where these tombs are? No, we don't know. We don't know a lot about it, and and we've seen all these scenes of Gandalf sneaking around in kind of dark underground areas and it's not clear if it's uh the the tombs or dol guldur or where he is what if the tombs are in dol guldur that that's entirely possible it would make the place really really creepy yes and and so what if you know gandalf is just exploring dol guldur he comes into this room and there's like this circle of graves like and and he's like and, and 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 i don't know perhaps he opens one of them and he sees this skeleton that, with a crown and it's yeah, – by golly, it's, it, it's the, the, the old kings, you know? Mm-hmm. And, then, and, and that might, might actually be the, the place if, – if this was Lotro, the game, the video game, that would totally happen. You would, you would be in this instance and you would walk up to this big room, circular room. You would open one of those tombs or click on it basically in the game and then all of a sudden – Look who's there. It is this flaming person who is like the necromancer and you have actually activated his his uh, appearance by opening one of these which uh, opening one of these uh, ring wraith's tombs. <laughs> That's how it would be in a game, I think. That's it could be like that in a movie. I mean, I think that if you want to introduce the necromancer it's got to be in a spectacular sp- place because he's the main villain. He's going to be Sauron of all, of all right. villains. Yeah. So you want a setting that that just oozes death and decay and that 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 kind of like um, th- immediately for all of us, it sounds the alarm like this is the dude from the ring, you know. And so what if in order to to make it clear that these Nazgul – well, perhaps not the Nazgul, but that that the necromancer has to do with the Nazgul. You would show the necromancer, you know, in this setting with the graves of these twelve. How many are there? Um, how, how many of the graves? Yeah, how, uh, how many Nazgul? Presumably nine. Nine. So nine, nine graves, and then yeah, and and I mean, I guess there could be more or mm. or less. Maybe they're all maybe they're all locked in one tomb together or something. Hmm. See, the impression the impression you get you get uh from from the cinemacon footage and stuff is that uh the 
that they were trapped in there somehow by the the men of the the, the Dunedain of the North uh, somehow trapped the Nazgul in this. But tomb was or this explained, or do we know exactly what was shown, and in, in, in if there was any dialogue around that? Or? I'm 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 rusty on it. I'm okay. Actually, you know what? A good place to check this is Quickbeam from the One Ring uh, did a write up on it. So I'm going to go back and look again. So um, let's see. Okay, so you know what? Gandalf counts a total of nine tombs, all with their spells broken and bars ripped. So that there you go, nine tombs. Um, and uh, let's see, let's see what else he has to say. Ah, go back. <laughs> My searching is not working. Um, so uh, let's see. Yeah, so Gandalf's in a prison crypt, investigating the light. Um, he counts nine tombs there you go there you go yep uh i believe there's a scene where he's telling there is a scene where he's telling the rest of the white council what's happened and Ah. talk about how uh they talk about how these guys were sealed in here by um the uh by the men of the north it's you know some distant time what Um, if they talk oh here we go yeah here we go i found it uh a luminous okay Christopher Lee is sitting in front of the green screen looking at a table where Gandalf has just placed a Morgul blade. Urgent discussion ensues about the nature of the weapon, and a luminous Cape Blanchett gets the lion's share of the expository dialogue. She explains how the men of the north once battled against the Witch King of Angmar and succeeded in burying him in a spell-protected crypt. Mm-hmm. So dark and deeply buried it would never see light again. Gandalf raises, raises eyebrows to say, it's right here, so never say never. Hugo Weaving provides the deep-voiced, but that's impossible, incredulity of the scene, while the faintest flicker of wickedness passes across Saruman's face. Mm. So <laughs> what I think is Gandalf stumbles upon this crypt, mm-hmm. and it has – we don't see the Nazgul yet. We see the, we see the, the tombs, and perhaps you know, this would be a very dramatic thing to do. We will see that the tombs have been opened and in the tombs, we see the skeletons just like we saw them in the in 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 Frodo in yeah Frodo's vision when he when he has the ring. So we see the skeletons; they have mm-hmm. a crown, and so we realize, well, wait a second, these are the nine kings. Um, but why have the, why are the tombs open? You know, and then and and um, so the uh, what 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 is possible is that later on or before that we will actually see the necromancer. Standing in that same circle, or it might be a flashback or something like that, but somehow he is the guy who opens these tombs and 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 brings back the Nazgul, uh, mm-hmm. and, and and kind of jives with his name, you know, his function, the necromancer. He's a guy that has to do with dead stuff, dead people, dead ghosts, whatever. Um. So and then the the blade might just be from one of those skeletons. He might just pick up one and then it's like, hmm, what is this? Yep. And and so, uh, do we know that we will actually see the Nazgul? Has that been confirmed? Um, no. That's so, that's that's so why it's really a that, a very interesting point of speculation. I think that's what they're going to do. They're not going to show us the Nazgul. They won't go searching for uh for the ring. That's all going to be left for the Lord of the Rings. They don't need to show that. It would only confuse the audience if we see the Nazgul. Because like, weren't these the Lord point. of the Rings? I think we will just see the origin of the Nazgul. We see these open tombs. We see these skeletons. 
obviously something happened in this room. And then later on, we see the necromancer is like, why is he called the necromancer? Well, what if he was the guy who actually opened these tombs and, and brought about the Nazgul, which we will see him use fully in the Lord of the Rings? Yep. I think that's how that, they're going to change. And, and, that's and, what and, I predicted. And the connection is going to be the visual connection of those skeletons and then later on what we will see in, in Frodo's vision. That's, I think, how yeah. it will happen. That, it, uh, that, that was my prediction. Uh, cool. Uh, a, essentially, that, that there would be talk about them. We would see the tombs, maybe even see them in the tombs when the necromancer is freeing them, that kind of stuff, but that they actually wouldn't be involved in the storyline at all, that they would disappear presumably into Mordor and wouldn't be on screen. So I agree. I go with that. I absolutely cool. go with that. <laughs> I'm I'm glad you I'm glad you agree with me. Um, that what? actually seems to be a fairly popular answer for this question. There's let's see one two three four five six A's to four C's. So you're does, with the does A imply that we will actually see the Nazgul themselves or just uh, the no? Oh, okay. A A is A is A is in my opinion. I I had exactly the same reasoning that mm-hmm. you did, which is. We'll, we'll, we'll see the White Council talking about them and maybe we'll even see the tombs and, and – but that they're not going to show up on screen. They're not going to be riding around on horses um, leading the Battle of Five Armies or, Although, or fighting against the White Council. Now that I think of it, it might be cool. This is this is I think is what's going to happen because uh, I need to give it a twist because I don't want to be in agreement with all the, all the rest of the people. <laughs> um what if we see the first team that we see is is this Gandalf, the Graves, mm-hmm. the Tomb, he gets the blade, he goes back to the White Council, and then later on, during the Battle of Dol Guldur, we'll actually revisit that location and then we will see the, the, the necromancer standing in the middle and he and, and swarming around him will be these Nazgul who are actually going to fight during the Battle of Dol Guldur, they will be the the main. That's what's going to happen. That's the other. That's answer C. That's the other yes. popular answer. That uh, that it will be. They'll be involved in the the White Council battle. So now that I think um, of it, I, that would be even cooler. Because then that seems like the that seems like the if they're going to be on screen in the film, it's uh, going to be during the Battle of Dol Guldur. Yeah, it's going to be Battle of Dol Guldur. And I, you know, it, because it it what it does is it it just creates a perfect story arc for them. You first you see you get this mysterious thing of the of their their the, the tombs and the skeletons. Then you get like, what is this? What is this blade? Who are these? What are these tombs for? And then later on in the battle, it's like, oh wait a minute, we've got the Nazgul and and this necromancer is commanding them. Mm-hmm. Which yep. of course later on in the Lord of the Rings, when we see the Nazgul, is a huge hint that oh the necromancer was Sauron. Yeah, this is a very uh, – you're right. This is an excellent way to hint at what his real That's, identity is. So. It's got to happen. I don't know if the Nazgul will, will look like the way that we saw them in The Lord of the Rings. I assume they have to or perhaps even a little bit more kind of ghost-like or um, – but I, I do think that they might be – you know, and this the, – the, if you want to tell the story of battle – you got to do that in phases as well, gradually. So there will be first, like first line of defense, orcs. Second line of defense, other nasty people, creatures. And then mm-hmm. you get to the center. We're almost there. We're almost. Uh, and then it's Lenazgul and this necromancer. And oh my goodness, that is that's way worse than we thought it would be. 
That, yep. That's kind of – All right. That's how so you're going with out. C then. I'm going with A and then a big dose of C. I see. <laughs> you're, you're in good agreement then. You, you're in agreement with uh, with uh, Corey Olson. Okay. Nice. He, he thinks they're going to be at the Battle of the Old Gold. But, but A is, is true too. It's – it's uh, well, A, they're headed for Mordor preparing – no, 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 no. That's not it. A, A is the A is the I don't A is the kind of the purest answer of uh, I don't want to see them on screen right, and therefore right, right, I right. predict we won't see them on screen. <laughs> but A, A doesn't say anything about those tombs and then and, and so no uh, A, I is, think... A is more once they're released from the tombs what will they be doing right and right 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 A is A is they'll disappear and we'll never see them on screen ever oh, again. Okay, no, I think actually see the more I think of it and now that we know that Dol Guldur, the Battle of Dol Guldur is yes. going to be a big thing of, of movie yes. two. Oh yeah, I think. If I that, could go and, back and, and change my answer, and, I would also probably. And even if the necromancer is not very, I always imagine the necromancer being this flaming guy because of the flames in the third movie. Mm-hmm. <laughs> might not be the case. It might actually be that the that the necromancer is kind of this unassuming guy, and you're just like, who is this, and why is he scary? And then you see him commanding the Nazgul, and then you start to understand that. Wait a minute, he is way more dangerous than. Than than in high school. Hmm. <laughs> hmm. <laughs> yep. I love this game. <laughs> I know. Me too. We're we're thinking about uh, putting together a um uh like a some kind of some kind of guide or sheet that yes. people can take with them when they go watch the movie. Uh, a bingo sheet. Some... Bingo sheet. Exactly. <laughs> so they can keep track of who gets the right answer. The Bilbo bingo. <laughs> <laughs> I the true fans will absolutely do that. <laughs> yep. That's right. I love it. All okay. Right. 